Mike Dempsey here for Underdog Fantasy, where you just draft your team and Underdog handles the rest. And you can win big cash prizes. Go to underdogfantasy.com or the Underdog Fantasy app and sign up with code 1010XL. That's Underdog Fantasy. Use code 1010XL. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Coogan Nation. Time to. <laughs> Yo, say what I want, what I really, really want. Don't tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. Don't tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I want to tell you what I want, what I really, really want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. It's musical chairs on the drill on this special custom tree surgeon's Thursday. That's right, it is a custom tree service Thursday here on The Drill. Dan and Jeff have the day off. You just heard E.T. He's hanging out until 10 a.m. The three of us will be here until 8 a.m. The three of us would be Alessandra Pontbriand, Tony Smith. I'm Lauren Brooks. Good morning. Good morning. How are y'all? Tired. It's early. Man, y'all better tighten up, man. These six o'clockers expect something, and we're going to do it. Yeah, I was going to say, that's the first time I've heard the open for the drill since the last time I set in to produce it. And the last time I set in to produce the drill, Tony Baselli was still a member in studio (laughs) on the show across the street. It's been that long since I've heard the six o'clock open on this particular show. That was, you know, walk down memory lane a little bit. I did the 6 a.m. thing for... Four or five years Ooh. doing radio, and I I don't uh, I don't envy you, E, having to do this five days oh, I, a I, week. I, I love it. All right, in and out, in and out. I did the morning show. I was on the drill for six months in 2018. Mm-hmm. That's when we were transitioning to this building. So yeah. we were downtown, actually at Channel Four, and then we oh. were, we moved in over here. And then after six months, I said, that is too early, and the afternoons are much better. Alessandra, you worked late last night, so you're pulling the Hicken shift. Yeah, I know. It's I'm excited, though. I'm well, excited. First, like, we're excited to have you. Excel. It's like, <laughs> this is a big deal. Absolutely. And your mom's listening? Yeah, I did. I told her <laughs> hey, yesterday. Mama. <laughs> she was just getting ready for work, and I told her to download the app. She said she was uh, she was practicing yesterday listening on Perfect. the app, so I'm excited. So, hi, Mom. <laughs> That's right. We've got two apps. We've got 1010XL. We've got 92.5, so people can listen to us all over. Mm-hmm. All right, so before the Jaguar season, Tony and I made some crazy predictions for the Jaguars record. We have been certainly uh, vilified since, I would say, or made fun of on probably every show. Oh, I knew I was going to get made fun of when I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so the way I did it, so we went through, we always do this uh, in April when the schedule comes out, Alessandra, and we go through and pick what we think the Jaguars record is going to be. I did it based off of who has the better quarterback? And I thought there were two teams that had better quarterbacks than the Jags, and that's it. And so that's why I thought the Jaguars would win 15 games, <laughs> only lose two. But Tony went up to me. I did. I had him at 16-1, and one, <laughs> and not only did I predict 16-1, and one, I predicted the one loss to be Buffalo and that it would be avenged in the AFC Championship game, Ooh. reversing what happened in 1999 mm. uh, to the franchise with the only regular season losses coming against the Titans and then... AFC Championship game happened that way. It's like, we're getting rid of a bunch of curses here in these last couple of years, and it didn't turn out quite that way. No, not exactly. The two quarterbacks I thought that were better than Trevor Lawrence were Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. So I thought Trevor was better than Josh Allen, and the Jaguars did end up beating the Bills, certainly over in London. Mm -hmm. Uh, But quarterbacks like Jake Browning and Joe Flacco beat this team. And at 8-3, and I was like, okay, I'm not that far off if the Jags don't lose again. Uh, unfortunately, that was obviously not the case. Disappointing end to the season. What was your 
record prediction if you had one? I thought they were going to have 13 wins. Oh, That's so you were much it... more reasonable than Tony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then the Jaguars were like, best I could do is 9-8, and eight, which is so sad. Yeah, 9-8 and eight a year ago felt like we have arrived. Yeah. We have the coach. We have the quarterback. In year two, certainly Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson are going to do such great things. Look at all the weapons. And since adding Calvin Ridley and Alessandra, I know you go out to training camp just like I do. That offense had so much firepower, and Mm -hmm. we were all, like, telling everyone, Mm -hmm. just wait until the season starts. And the offense just never got going. And so that's, I think, the most frustrating part is you have the quote-unquote generational quarterback, and you have a coach who's won a Super Bowl, and you have Christian Kirk, and you have Evan Ingram, and you have Calvin Ridley and the likes, Zay Jones, and the offense just never did what they needed to do. I remember Jamal Justin and I were talking, Kevin and I, we were talking about that in the sports department. We were saying, like, w- during training camp, like, oh, my gosh, look at all the skilled players that Trevor Lawrence has, him himself being, you know, the quarterback. And then it's like you were right. There was, like, maybe one or two games where they actually clicked. Other than that, it was a complete disappointment. But So it's so crazy because you look at them in practice. You look at them in training camp. They're doing so well, what we thought. And then in the game, it's like, what happened? Where would you guys go? Yeah, where they went was some people would yeah. certainly, Tony, place the blame on the fact that Doug Peterson shifted the play calling to Press Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't well, think that's all of it, though. No, look, I think, as we talked about when that got announced, Press Taylor was calling the plays in the second halves of the games last year. And if you go back and you look at the season before, the second halves were the better halves, Absolutely. right, for the football team. It's not like I, I didn't think that that was going to have some major impact on the outcome of games for them in this season. I think that they didn't put it together better than they did Mm -hmm. is what had a major impact. And I also think that similar to the season before, when the back half of the season was them heating up and getting into the playoffs on a roll, right, ultimately, that it felt this year like Trevor Lawrence was on that path again. You know, going into that Cincinnati game, he had had three weeks in a row – where once again, you look at him compared to the other quarterbacks in the league, and it's like, he's playing like a top-five quarterback right now. Like, on this in this month, he's playing like a top-five quarterback right now. Then you get the ankle injury on top of the knee that he had been dealing with. He had played through that. Then he gets the ankle. Then he gets the head. And, like, all these different things started piling up. Right. Christian Kirk gets hurt, and it's like, whatever proficiency they had on offense is walking out the door with the combination of all these things happening together and for a myriad of reasons, they weren't able to overcome those things. And part of that was the defense was so much better than the offense for the first month and a half of the season. The defense was so much worse than the offense for the last month, month and a half of the season. And when all those things combined, it's hard for them to figure out a way to even win a football game. And they wound up only being able to do that against the worst team in football this year, the Carolina Panthers. And I think because of the shutout that day against the Panthers, they had almost a false sense of hope or confidence going into that very last Titans game. I probably did as well. I thought for sure the Jaguars would beat the Titans the way that the Titans had, you know, only at that point only had five wins. They'd been limping into the end of the season. We hate the Titans around here, Alessandra. We sure do. I think football, not I think, Football is absolutely won and lost in the trenches. And if you look at this Jaguars roster, the way it was constructed last year, we all thought that they were just missing an edge rusher. But in the end, what they were really missing was an interior of the offensive line and 
an interior of the defensive line because you had the Devon Hamilton illness. The interior of the offensive line, none of us saw the regression that they would have coming. I thought it was crazy when Trent Baalke said last week during his press conference that, like, Luke Fortner, he could be the center. It's like, well, when it came down to the final play, he was, like, pushed back five yards. So it's like, maybe yeah. not. Yeah, 100%. The offensive line definitely – I, my opinion, the offensive line needs the biggest work this offseason. Mm-hmm. And until you can actually get people that can, you know, open up some holes for the running backs to run through or for help for Trevor – you're really not going to be able to become that successful team that obviously every Jaguars fans are hoping for and really want, of course. Yeah, yeah desperately. I want. still think they're going to address Luke Fortner in this offseason, despite what Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke have said. <laughs> despite I, what right, said. Like, I, I think that's just coach speak. We're not throwing guys under the bus, right, at the end of the season. I think that you answer how you feel about Luke Fortner by bringing in another center. That answers that question, not whatever they have to say after the season. Mm-hmm. I, I think that you're in a situation as a coach or a GM that your hand's forced in some ways to, look, we we want to address that, but we don't want to say it publicly that this is one of our priorities is we're going to address center on the football team. We don't need everybody to know, and we don't need Luke to know because we don't know what that plan looks like yet and what the opportunities to address center is going to look like. So... There's a more than 0% chance that Luke Fortner is the center for us next year. It's not what we want the plan to be, but it's more than zero that he'll be the starting center again next year. We don't need to throw him under the bus. Like Whatever pressure we're going to put on him is going to be behind the scenes for now and adding somebody to the roster. I understand fans freaking out about it. Like I do. I under, Fran, I'm with you. you know, I'm ready to move on from Fortner. We've seen it for a couple of years. He didn't get any better this year, and it hurt the team mm-hmm. ultimately. So it's something that they need to move on from, but I, I'm not surprised that coach and GM aren't willing to express it the way the fans feel it at this point in time. I, again, I think they'll add a center at some point in this offseason. That'll answer the question on Fortner. Well, fans that have been watching the Senior Bowl have been drooling over the Oregon center, Jackson Powers Johnson. I don't know that they're going to take a center at 17. I don't know that if you look at big picture, that's necessarily the answer either because there may be some other positions of need that you draft there. But certainly people have been watching him maul other uh, defensive linemen going, wow, we need need him on our team. And that's the tricky part is when Trent Baalke selects Luke Fortner as high as he did, he wants him to stay on the team. He wants him to be good. And Doug Peterson... Didn't draft him, but it does seem like he's had his back. So we'll certainly uh, be following the Jags uh, every single day. And, of course, Tony will be talking about them every single day on Jaguars today. <laughs> Alessandra will be talking about them on Channel 4 as well. When we come back, we're going to talk some college football. Alessandra went to Alabama, so we're going to talk about Kalen DeBoer and how he will do. You are listening to The Drill on a custom tree starting Thursday on 10 to next on 92.5 FM. Where are Dan and Jeff? We'll find them. It's a special Custom Tree Surgeons Thursday edition of The Drill on 1010XL. I have to say, I have no idea where Dan and Jeff are. No. No (laughs) clue. I do know that Dan will be back tomorrow. I do know that. Mm -hmm. And Jeff will be back on Monday. I don't even know where them boys are. (laughs) If you don't know, then nobody knows. (laughs) You are listening to The Drill on this Custom Tree Surgeons Thursday. Tony Smith is here. Alessandra Pontbriand is here. Emmanuel Thalarand is here, otherwise known as E.T. I am Lauren Brooks. All right, Alessandra, so you're originally from New York. 
Yep. How did you end up attending the University of Alabama? My family, I just grew up Alabama fans. My first game I ever watched, I was in middle school. Always remember it. It was Alabama versus Texas A&M. Johnny Manziel was the quarterback. I think you were in middle Mike, school. I was okay. In <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Alabama won. And I was like, I really like that team. Because my family liked it too. So I was like, oh, I like the Crimson Tide. And then I just fell in love. So that was like the only place I went to or I wanted to go to. I applied to most of the SEC schools. Didn't okay. apply to Florida though. Um, and yeah, so I went there. I did. I got both my bachelor's and master's there. It was best five years. It's great. And we didn't. We I think we lost three times total. So. I was going to say how many national championships in the five years? <laughs> two, I think. Okay, yeah, two national championships, maybe three, but maybe uh, two winning. I think may another appearance. Okay. We were talking about this on the Frangie show. A couple I was weeks just ago. thinking about being at Wolfson. My first three years, <laughs> my first three years at Wolfson, they won a combined two games. Ooh. Right, my senior year, they finally uh, they won six that year, and then went to Tallahassee in the first round of the playoffs and got absolutely stomped, which was not unusual. But we made the playoffs. Hey, and I went to every game in my junior and senior year. I just compare that to, and I'm a Vanderbilt fan. On top of that, yeah, like, I just compare that to, yeah, five years they lost three games. I think like. I, can't even contemplate having a team that successful yeah and I went to Florida and so I also cannot contemplate recently only losing three games but we were talking about that's awesome yeah we were talking about Bill O'Brien and how he's worked for both Belichick and Saban and somehow some way he doesn't have any national championships or Super Bowls right like how is that possible that you can be around he's the problem he clearly (laughs) clearly is the problem all right, so Alessandra, what was it like the moment? Because I have a similar moment when I was a sophomore in college is when Steve Spurrier announced that oh, he wow. was leaving Florida. So the shockwaves that that sent, a little different than retirement for Nick Saban. But, I mean, on campus it was not quite like sad like a funeral, like someone had died, but it was it certainly sent shockwaves all throughout Gainesville. What was it like the moment, and obviously you were here not – still in Tuscaloosa, but what was it like for you the moment that you found out Nick Saban was retiring? Oh, let me tell you. I was in the newsroom, and I saw the tweet come through, and Jamal goes, no way. And I'm like, what is he saying no way about? And I go on Twitter, and it pops up that he's retiring from Chris Lowe, and I scream in the newsroom. I go, no. And ever the producer was like, what's wrong? And I was like, Nick Saban's retiring. And there was just an overwhelming, like, Oh my God. In the, cause most of our producers are Florida Gators fans. So they were pumped. They were very excited Absolutely. about it. Um, I was like, so upset. It took me a few days. I was like, how is he retiring? But he's 72. So that you knew you the know. day was coming. It just, absolutely. I think it did occur a little bit faster than what people expected because so obviously Tony, this season for Alabama didn't go according to plan, at least early on. And there were all the rumors about Saban and Alabama sure. not necessarily sticking with each other for years to come. But in the end, I think people thought because they did make it to the college football playoff, Nick Saban will continue coaching. Uh, yeah, I would have, if I was a Bama fan, I would have assumed that we're going to see Nick Saban until Nick Saban doesn't want to coach, right? And it was unexpected that Nick Saban not wanting to coach would be this offseason, right? But I still, look, it's Nick deciding it's time for him to walk away. You know, at 72, you know, you got other things you can do with your life, man, besides this having to be what you do all the time. And it's become so much more than even when he started doing it. And it was always a full-time year-round job. But now with the portal and everything that that involves, you've basically turned college football into free agency football in the NFL every year with virtually everyone you bring in. You get a kid to commit to your university for what, 12 months? Great. 
right? Like, if I'm Nick Saban, I'm like, I don't even know what the future of this actually looks like. They're going to expand the playoff. Mm -hmm. Everything that is changing in college football, this is the right time to walk away. And if he had done it two years ago when all this insanity started, I would have been like, I get it, man. You're 70, right? Like, you don't want to have to deal with all the shifting landscape under your feet. I know how to win in that old system. I can win. I can win big year to year under that system. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like to remain a dominant team in college football under the new parameters that they're all going to have to deal with. And look, the university's dealing with the fallout of that now. You're finding out how many of the kids that committed to Alabama didn't commit to Alabama. They committed to Saban. And when he's not there, it's hard to hold on to everything that you thought you had a grip on. And so, look, Bama's still going to be fine. They're still going to be good, but it is, it's just so different in the world of college football now. And look, it opens the door for a bunch of other teams potentially as well, you know, for these one, two year runs to make something happen. And unfortunately you make that run and then whatever kids were most successful will go somewhere else. You know, like that's the way the system's going to work from now on. People can feel about that however they want to feel about it. What's crazy is in the NFL, there are contracts for the free agents and contracts for the players in general, obviously. But that way, you know how long a player is going to be on your roster and you don't have to re-recruit that player year in and year out to your point. And that's the thing is is you've opened up now unlimited transfers with no penalty for that. And I think we're not raising a generation, but this generation that is being raised in the college football landscape we have now, Alessandra, they're being taught that the grass is greener on the other side. And the moment that they enter the transfer portal, they're expecting to get paid. Oh, yeah. And they're not facing adversity day in and day out. And so either way, as it relates to Alabama, once it was announced that Kalen DeBoer was the head coach, I'm sure there was excitement. And then there was, oh, no, half of our team is leaving. I know. Mike Norvell got a good amount of those He guys. sure did. Yes, yeah, so Florida State. I think He's great State. at the transfer portal. Oh, of course. Yeah, I think Florida State's going to be really good next year again. I like Kalen DeBoer, though. I mean, he led Washington to the national championship. Of course, the Pac-12 is very different from the SEC, but 104 wins, only losing 12 games in nine seasons as a head coach. Like, come on. How can that not make you happy? I think he'll do well. You know, he just needs to figure out how to get involved with the Southeast and try to recruit these guys, and I think he'll do just fine, but... I mean, listen, I'm an Alabama fan, so I have to be, I have to be positive. <laughs> I'm nervous for this season. I can understand that. I mean, Kalen DeBoer, like you said, he's not, he doesn't have any ties to the Southeast. Right. And typically people who have been successful in, in college football in the Southeast have ties here, whether it's mm-hmm. recruiting, coaching their way up through high school, or they started at a school in the South. But at the same time, Billy Napier coached at school in the South, not in the SEC, obviously, before Florida. But he was very successful at Louisiana, and it hasn't yet translated there. Uh, but yeah, for Kalen DeBoer, I think it was always going to be a situation where you're following the legend. Like there, It doesn't matter, even if you win nine games next year, that's not good enough. No. And so it, it's going to be, I think, a, an adjustment period for Alabama fans, for sure. Oh, for sure. But I feel like he can't, or a lot of Alabama fans can't have the expectation that he's going to be the next Nick Saban. Like, that is a one-of-a-kind guy. He just has to be good enough to lead us to the national championship every year. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the unrealistic expectation of an Alabama fan. And, Tony, I mean, yes, your school, Vanderbilt, not necessarily We're in the college football playoffs. Same, yeah. <laughs> right, year in and year out. But you understand that fans are not ever going to be rational. 
I mean, you talk know. to fans on a daily basis about the Jags. They're never going to be rational. No, uh, they don't have to be. You know, when it comes to the, the fan is short for fanatic, mm-hmm. you know, and so the whatever portion of your fan base that is willing to interact with stuff like this, right, like sports radio, right. those are the fanatic fanatics, right? Like those are the people that are like, I got something I got to get off my chest. You know, that's who I get to talk to every day. I can understand that. And there's that 90% of fans that are going, ah, we'll see what happens, right? I think that's generally how the majority of the fan base works. But the people that are going to interact on social media or with sports radio and do these different things, they have opinions that they feel like need to be expressed and reacted to. And look, I love it. It's why we do what we do is Absolutely. to interact with those fans. And look, it helps me. It challenges me with things that I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good point, right? Like it's a different way to think about it uh, when you interact with somebody. That's why communication is important, you know, with these kinds of things. But yeah, it's fans don't have to be rational. And Alabama fans have earned the right to not be rational about what to expect out of their football program. It's been at such a high level of success for a long time. Look, Patriots fans in the NFL felt the same way. And then when Tom Brady left, it was like, well, what's going to happen? And what's going to happen is you're just New England again, right? Like, it's not the same machine that it was when you had those two guys at the top. And in the NFL, you can create it for 20 years. And they were able to maintain it for 20 years with that particular franchise. College football, they have created a system now where you got to turn it over every year. And you have to put in the work again year over year over year to maintain any kind of level of success. Alabama's in as good a position as any program in the country to maintain that level of success, but it's going to take real dedicated hard work year to year to make it continue to happen. I I don't doubt that they can do it, but at some point everything changes. Yes, and you have to be willing to adapt. I think what's funny to me is Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher had that very public tete-a-tete about the NIL and how Jimbo Fisher was basically paying his players and Nick Saban was trying to be you know, a little more highbrow than that. But in the end, Nick Saban learned Jimbo Fisher's way is actually the way that college football is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimbo Fisher doesn't last at Texas A&M. Nick Saban lasts a couple more years and then decides, you know what? Yeah, this is for the birds, basically. And also, I know that they built, he and his wife, Miss Terry, built a house in Jupiter, like near where Tiger Woo! lives. So yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I think Miss Terry was like, okay, we've done our time in Alabama. Yeah, it was like seventeen million dollars. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, got peace it. out, dude. He probably made that just from Aflac. Let's be honest. Oh. Like the endorsements that these people get. Ugh. Speaking of endorsements, we're gonna about to talk about the Super Bowl. There's a certain person in the Super Bowl who has a lot of endorsements. One Patrick Mahomes. We'll get to that next. You are listening to the drill on a custom tree surgeon Thursday on Tenton X on any two point five FM. We're hoping Dan and Jeff show up for work tomorrow. It's a special Custom Tree Surgeons Thursday edition of The Drill on 1010XL. That's right. It is a special edition. Tony Smith is here. Alessandra Pontbriand is here. Emmanuel Thalarand, a.k.a. E.T., is here. I'm Lauren Brooks. We're with you until 8 o'clock, and then Taylor Dahl and Tom McManus roll in, and they have the 8 to 10 shift because The Drill is so incredibly difficult that we had to split it up. <laughs> Nobody can do four hours. Oh, wait. Prosser does that 
every single day. <clears throat> and of course, oh, oh, ET. Okay, okay, just checking. Absolutely. By the way, you're wearing a Miami sweatshirt. Are you a Hurricanes fan? Yeah. I don't yeah, think I knew that. Yeah, it's all about you, baby. Are you a Cam Ward fan then? Uh, anybody who's doing the, the, the Miami Hurricane colors, yes. Of All course. Right. I don't care if it's NIL. I don't care if it's ACL, P, whatever. ACL, PCL, DVD, M- whatever. <laughs> it's all about the U. All right. Well, we will find out uh, certainly when Florida and Miami square off very early in the season. All right. Let's get it to the Super Bowl. We've got Chiefs 49ers. Uh, is that, by the way, is that who y'all thought would win the AFC and NFC championship games? I thought the Ravens were going to win. Okay. I I was torn on both games. I was torn, but my pick was uh, Baltimore, ultimately. I I don't know that I'll be foolish enough to pick against Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs again, maybe ever. I, that's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Shame on me for ever picking against him. I should have known better. Just because they went through the lull in the season, especially offensively, their defense has been great all season long. He specifically said, we'll get it fixed. We will get it fixed. He told Peter King that. And some of us didn't, I guess, believe him. And we were totally wrong. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, to me, is the best to ever do it. Tom Brady has the six rings, or sorry, seven rings, six with the Patriots, one with the Bucks. But their playing style is so different. And I think, Tony, if you're starting a football team tomorrow and you got to choose between the two, would you choose Patrick Mahomes? Oof. Uh, oof. I... You know, it's it's interesting because it's Mahomes is six years into his career, basically. Yep. At it's seven, right? You know, but he but didn't, he didn't really play, play his yeah. first year. Uh, but six years into his career, and having conversations about him next to Tom Brady is not absurd, right? Like that's the kind of career trajectory we've seen from Patrick Mahomes. As I said, six years he's been in the AFC Championship game at least. All six years of his career. He's going to the Super Bowl for the fourth time. He's won two. You go back and look. Tom Brady, I think it was, he won four Super Bowls in his first five years or six years. And then he had the long break. And then he had the long break uh, when everything was said and done. I, I was looking at the stats last night, and it took Tom Brady 11 years to get to his sixth Pro Bowl, which is what Patrick Mahomes is going to this year. It took him that same 11 years to get his second MVP. Uh, and Patrick already has two of those, and he could have won two more, mm-hmm. including this year. I don't think he's going to. I think Lamar's going to yeah, win the I MVP. Agree. But it wouldn't be stupid if he won it again this year. I I think saying that Patrick Mahomes is going to be the greatest of all time is a reasonable thing to say. At this point. Now, he's still got to do it for another 15 years to overtake Tom Brady in a bunch of these different kind of categories. But certainly, he's on that path right now. And if I had to choose both of them, uh, the the draft told you who they thought was better. Certainly. You know, Patrick Mahomes is a top 10 pick, and Tom Brady is a six-round pick, as we all know. The draft process told you what they thought of the players uh, from that perspective. So... If it was a draft and we didn't know what the careers looked like afterwards, yeah, I, Mahomes would go ahead of Brady every time, you know, in that kind of discussion, as he Especially would have the been. Way Brady looked at the combine. Yeah. Back then. Right. Like oh, it's, but I dog. do think, yeah. yeah, I know. You know, he's got that chicken chest. That's, that 40 yard <laughs> dash was atrocious. But yeah, I, Mahomes is special, 
right? And every time he takes the field, especially this time of year, and I get it, fans are getting sick of it. We all got sick of Brady, too. I, and I felt and feel about Mahomes the same way I did about Brady. It's like I'm sick of this guy having this level of success. I'm not sick of watching him have it, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm still a football fan. I enjoy watching Patrick Mahomes play football. I enjoyed watching Tom Brady play football. I wish they both had less success than they've had, especially Mahomes in this era when it feels like the Jags are finally in a window where they can compete uh, to some degree, at least with these kinds of things. They just aren't doing it this year. You know, they competed heavy with them last year. That divisional game was great. And again, that goes to Mahomes' greatness. He had a high ankle sprain. Yes. And came back in the game and won. The dude is re- ridiculous at that position. I think it's more likely than not that Patrick Mahomes winds up at the top of quarterback lists after he gets done with his career. Especially because, like you said, he's had so much success early, and it took Brady quite some time to get to that point. If Mahomes keeps winning, I mean, if he gets his third ring this year, and certainly odds makers started with the 49ers as a a two-and-a-half-point favorite, that shocked me. I know the lines moved since then, but that still really surprised me because, like we just said, how can you pick against Mahomes at this point in time? But if he gets his yeah. third ring, something tells me he could get to seven and and maybe potentially beyond if if he wins a couple more in the near future. <laughs> Alessandra, as far as the, the Chiefs 49ers, who wins? I'm going 49ers. Really? I'm all about vibes. Okay. Jamal, I, Jamal talked about the Jaguars like moment, losing momentum at the end of the season. That's ultimately why they obviously didn't get to playoffs. Mm-hmm. I think the 49ers are the complete opposite. They have a winning momentum right now. They're looking good. They have like barely anyone on the injury report. So I think they're awesome. I think they're going to win. It's okay. going to be a close game though. But again, you know, am I stupid enough to go against the Chiefs? <laughs> <laughs> well, so the... McCaffrey injury, I guess he said after the game that it was just a stinger. Shanahan didn't even really talk about his injury, which is interesting because when it happened and they didn't put him back in, I was like, oh, that might actually be something that lingers, a neck injury. But either way, certainly what you want to see is everyone healthy in that game. The the 49ers, to me, and Shanahan's such a great play caller, but I don't know that they're going to be able to withstand Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. Their defense is pretty good. And Isaiah Pacheco, too, Tony. I think the Chiefs' plan is going to be run the football. Patrick Mahomes will have to take off sometimes. And I think the Chiefs' defense will be able to learn from what the Lions didn't, and that is that Purdy is a mobile quarterback, so mm-hmm. you're going to have to make sure you spy him. Yeah, I think San Francisco the last three weeks has been a different team defensively than they had been all year. And, you know, they've had to win games differently the last couple of weeks. Look, it's the playoffs. It's the divisional round of the playoffs in the NFC Championship game. So it's not some big surprise that things would be different, you know, this time of year. But still, they didn't dominate Green Bay. They didn't dominate Detroit, no. you know. And this is a team that we had seen dominate virtually everyone they played throughout the entirety of the regular season. And I think a lot of the lack of dominance has been the defense just isn't quite the same as it had been all year for, I don't know what the reasons are necessarily, but I think you're going up against a Chiefs team being led by Patrick Mahomes. Right now, I would pick Kansas City uh, in the game, me. I, I would have picked San Francisco all year long, but I think San Francisco is thin. I, I think beyond 
my pick in the NFC Championship game was entirely dependent on is Debo Samuel healthy enough to play. That's how thin I think San Francisco is. I think Debo goes out. I think Kittle goes out. I think McCaffrey goes out. I don't think they can win the Super Bowl with any of those guys not on the field because their depth just isn't all that great. But their front end is better than anybody else in football and has been all season long. I San Francisco has to figure out whatever those issues are on the defensive side of the ball for a team that has as many assets as they do poured into that front end especially, that they aren't more effective affecting the opposing quarterback is stunning the last couple of weeks. Well, you don't affect Patrick Mahomes. You get cut to pieces Mm -hmm. by Patrick Mahomes, and it doesn't matter what his weapons are. He'll find a way to win this kind of game. Patrick Mahomes will find a way to win, which is why, for now at least, I'm leaning towards the Kansas City side. I did see George Kittle not practicing here early in the week. I don't think it's going to affect his availability for the game, but it's at least something to keep an eye on. McCaffrey, it's the same kind of deal. Is he going to be 100% going into the game as if anybody is uh, this time of year? But those are at least a couple to keep an eye on, and either one of those guys not playing is disaster for the San Francisco side. Oh, yeah. If, they, if they're out, I'm going the other way. <laughs> and that's certainly understandable. I mean, those are the two of the most important pieces, obviously, for their team and what they want to do. What's interesting, so when the Jags played host to the 49ers after the break, after the bye, I thought the Jags would win because I always think the Jags mm-hmm. are going to win. Uh, I was severely disappointed. But moreover, I remember watching on Twitter. We were in the press box. but I remember seeing a video on Twitter of the 49ers coming out of their locker room and in the tunnel before they took the field. And they were dancing and they were carefree and they looked like they were about to just enjoy themselves, which is exactly what they did. But it was then that I realized this football team, to your point, Alison, about the vibe, this football team, they enjoy this. Like, there's no pressure on them. It's fun. It's absolutely fun. And I think Kyle Shanahan has a way about him to make it like that, too. And and I've read stuff about their how good their position coaches are and the close relationships that they have with the players. And so I understand that if they win, we will look back and we'll be like, well, of course. I mean, they do have guys like Brandon Ayuk and Jawan Jennings, who, in addition to the guys you were talking about, Tony, yeah. who are also really good. And if Brock Purdy has time and if he's able to be mobile, like, I'll understand if the 49ers win. But at some point in time, you do have to just evaluate the Chiefs for what they are, and that is championship DNA. And the only time Mahomes has lost in the Super Bowl was to the Bucks and Tom Brady. So he certainly is going to be a guy that he's going to look across, and no offense to Brock Purdy, but he's going to be like, I'm not losing to that guy. Yeah, <laughs> Super Bowl is different, Yeah, right? And I, I think, yeah, it's fun to play NFL football in October, November. Super Bowl is different. And I think there is something about Patrick Mahomes, that he presents a comfortable situation for teammates, right? The Super Bowl we've seen him lose, he was awesome that day. He got no help from his offensive no. line. Yeah, they were all Tampa was all over him from the jump, and he still gave him a chance at times. Like I can remember three plays he made in that game that I'm like, there's not another quarterback in the league that is going to make that kind of play. And it, it's with three guys draped on him that he's doing those kind of things. I think he creates a comfortable situation for teammates in as stressful a situation as there is in NFL football that's playing in the Super Bowl. There's not a whole lot once you kick off that's fun about the Super Bowl. It's all stress. And I do think there's something to having a guy that can pull you back into 
hey guys, let's have some fun in the moment. You know, you hear those stories about guys throughout history that have created that. Joe Montana stepping into into the huddle at the end of an AFC championship game and being like, all right, guys, let's go win this thing. You know, it's like that kind of attitude carries over to everyone on the team. I think Mahomes carries that as much or more than any other quarterback in football. I don't know if Purdy has that yet. Right. I mean, he's still so, so he may, in his career. Yeah. Right. Like he may be able to influence that kind of attitude from his teammates, but I don't have to question that with Mahomes. I know when he steps in the huddle, they're going to be like, this guy's going to win this play. Right. If I win my job on this play, this guy's going to find a way to make me look good. Right. Like in the biggest spotlight in the NFL, there's less pressure until the ball is in your hands. Right. Like he'll get it to you. Just do your job once it's in your hands. I think it does allow Kansas City to relax a little bit more than I would expect San Francisco is going to be able to. I think time of possession is going to be so incredibly crucial. It, it matters in a lot of games, but especially the way that the Chiefs wanted to beat the Ravens was keep the ball away from Lamar Jackson. And at halftime, they had a, the, the ball 20 minutes, 20 plus minutes. The Ravens had the ball nine plus minutes. Yeah. Like, they knew exactly how to manipulate the game the way they wanted to. I think it'll be similar too. I think the Chiefs want to have super long drives and keep the ball away from a guy like Christian McCaffrey and what he can do. And even, I mean, Kyle Juszczyk is, is a really good weapon that the 49ers have too and, and the way they utilize him. I This is one of those, those Super Bowls that the whole time I'm going to be enjoying it, but I'm also going to be comparing the Jaguars roster to <laughs> oh, every, every player that they have and, and the way that they do things and comparing their schemes and every, on offense, on defense. Like The Jaguars, I thought, were so close a season ago when the season ended, and now it feels like they are a lot farther. And so the whole time I'm going to be picking apart, I'm probably going to watch the game multiple times all Sandra, just so that I can enjoy it the first time and then go back and be like, all right, how did the Jaguars get to this level? Um, a prayer, a wish, <laughs> whatever you'd like. A really good draft and free agency. That's how there I'm going to go. go about it. E.T., who wins the Super Bowl? Chiefs or 49ers? Uh, I think it's going to be the 49ers. Oh, okay. I think it's going to be the Niners. I'm not really rooting for a particular team. I'm more so rooting for the players. Like I, I like Christian McCaffrey. I like okay. Debo. Yeah. Um, who doesn't like Patrick Mahomes? But like, I'm really rooting for Christian McCaffrey. I, I like that, that that white boy gets busy. <laughs> that he does. I will say, I think there are a lot of people that don't like Patrick Mahomes. I think yeah. all the commercials, they're over that. His voice is kind of interesting. They're over his wife. They're over his brother. I think there's a long list of people that, that probably don't like him. And to Tony's point, they don't like the success that he's had. Yeah. It's easy to hate against Dynasty. Yeah, I'm not pulling for Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. Right. I, I am going to enjoy watching Patrick Mahomes playing in another Super Bowl. Like, I, I'm not upset that I get to watch greatness continue to develop as a, an NFL football fan. Doesn't make me any less sick of right. him being the guy who's having that level of success, but it is what it is. I love football, and Same. this guy plays it as well as anyone I've ever watched play mm-hmm. that position. It's magic to watch. I'm looking forward because I now get the opportunity to watch him again. Darn him for creating the opportunity again, but... <laughs> I get to watch him in another Super Bowl. It's it's magical, man. It's all about the perspective. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. And and Kelsey too. I mean, 
he's one of the best to ever play the game, certainly. He's going to go down as the gold standard at tight end. We already said it. Yeah. He is the best tight yeah. end to play the game. It's Already. It is because, or it's hard because we just had Gronk and we were so confident that he was the best to ever do it. And so you, you have to, I feel like, sometimes step back and be like, wait, is this recency bias? Is, is it not? No, but Kelsey's yeah. that dude. Kel, Kel, I mean, he certainly, though, also has the benefit, like Gronk did, of yep. playing with such a good quarterback. All right. When we come back... A certain person on this show has a you know it for you, and it's not Dan Hicken. You are listening to The Drill on 10 to Next on 92.5 FM. When we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and singing the words of the old Negro spiritual. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty. You know it! As my big homie would say, yes, sir! And Welcome that. to Black History, my ladies and gentlemen. I love that. That was excellent, E. For everybody who doesn't drink coffee, they don't need coffee. They oh, just no. need to inject a little E.T. into their lives. Coffee? What's that? Just dancing right now. This is what you get if you watch this on YouTube, by the way. Not just the audio on the app, but that works, too. Welcome to The Drill on a Custom Tree Surgeons Thursday. Jeff Prosser, Dan Hicken have the day off. they will be back tomorrow. Until then, Alessandra Pontbriand, Tony Smith, E.T., I'm Lauren Brooks. We are hanging out with you for another hour. And then Taylor Dahl and Tom McManus. We'll take over and deliver you all good things when it comes to sports until 10 a.m. By the way, you heard in the update that Florida beat Kentucky in men's basketball. We will get to that in the next segment and my pure joy that was last night. But before that, we're going to talk a little bit more Jaguars. All right, Tony, I know you talk about this every day, but Mm -hmm. I want to start with Josh Allen. If he's franchise tagged, Jaguars Mm -hmm. Josh Allen, if he's franchise tagged, how upset will the fan base be and other players on the team be? I I'm I'm curious to see because we're going to find out. Right? Like it, we're on the path right now. They're going to wind up using the franchise tag on Josh Allen and it feels like they're very comfortable going that direction uh with it which means what it means for keeping him and Calvin Ridley, right? You're going to allow Calvin Ridley to hit free agency. So that's part of what the reaction from the fan base is going to be. Uh, we went into last offseason with three guys and one tag and trying to figure out exactly how they're going to split this up. And, you know, you had a portion of the fan base that wanted them to use it on Taylor. And I was never on board with that. Juwan Taylor, not Taylor Dahl. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was never on board with Juwan Taylor being the guy that got the franchise tag from him. I always thought Evan Ingram was the most likely to mm-hmm. get that tag. And I would have prioritized, I would have prioritized Key ahead of Taylor um, if it was me. Going into it last season, and once you saw the money you got from Kansas City, it's like, yeah, they're not paying that, right? For Juwan, they're not paying that. They're not going to pay him $80 million to be the right tackle. And they talked about him being the left tackle they when they sure signed did. him. And then a week later, he's the the right tackle again. It's like, all right, you can pay $20 million a year for a right tackle. Good for you. you By know, the way, he's got the life. He went from the Jags to yeah. the Chiefs. He's going to play in the Super Bowl. He f- False starts all the time, but he still gets paid a lot of money. Oh, and look, Dempsey and I talked about this last week. If Jawan Taylor was still on the Jags and led the league in in penalties, 
which he did right. among offensive linemen, the conversation would there might be one happening mm-hmm. about Jawan Taylor. You do that for Kansas City, and everyone's like, yeah, they're in the Super Bowl. Shut up. You know, like that's the way all those kind of things feel, and that's that's fine. That's fair. I think I'm disappointed that the GM can walk to a podium and say, we haven't talked to him yet. That bothers me, right? Knowing that that's the biggest decision that has to be made in this offseason. Even if the call is just to Josh's people and they say, look, we want to see what happens with Brian Burns. We want to see what happens with different guys that are going to be available in this offseason. We want to see what's going to happen with if they're going to redo the deal with Miles Garrett and what that's going to look like before we have a serious conversation about what these numbers are going to be. But have the conversation. Let his people yeah. tell you that's what they want. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they say, right? But don't let them find out that we haven't had a conversation. Like, don't let that be where that kind of thing is breaking. I think that's irresponsible on the part of the organization. I think it's all going to wind up with Josh Allen being on the franchise tag, and we won't see him in town until they get a deal done or the season starts. That's how this whole thing is going to play out. I, I'm i curious to see what kind of numbers they want to put in front of it. There's no, I keep describing it as, there's no middle class. With the edge rushers, right. there's no middle class, right? Like you have 34 going to Bosa. Nick Bosa out in San Francisco signed the deal right before the season started this year. You have that contract at the top of that list among edge rushers. And then it drops down to 27-28. There's no other position outside of defensive tackle with Aaron Donald where there's that kind of gap between the top and the second, third, fourth, fifth. Like that kind of $6 million, $7 million gap between the top and the next guy. And Josh Allen clearly belongs in the middle of that gap. But is that middle of the gap at 28? Or is it at 30? Or 31? Right, like I don't know what exactly that number is, and I think if you sign Josh Allen to a thirty million dollar a year deal right now, that in three years, like Christian Kirk, we'd look at it and say, "Oh, yeah, he's right where he's supposed to be." I think that would be the eventual outcome of that. But I think you sign Josh Allen to that thirty million dollar deal now. I think some fans look at it and say, "What? What? What? Like that? You're paying the second highest paid defensive end in football." It's like. Yeah, and in a year, he'll be seventh, right? Like, that's the way those things work. You have to get past some of those things, but I don't even know what Josh Allen's camp wants at this point in time, but I fully expect the franchise tag. Right, like, (laughs) I fully expect the franchise tag to be the direction that we're going with this thing. Well, and I think, Alessandro, everyone thought, well, Calvin Ridley will get the franchise tag, Josh Allen will get the long-term deal, and we'll see about Cam Robinson and, and what happens at that point in time. Do you think Calvin Ridley did enough to deserve to be back or be on the franchise tag? I think he did enough because you have to think miscommunication. That was a big thing all mm-hmm. season. It was miscommunication with him and Trevor and everyone else. Maybe next year it'll be better. I remember Calvin Ridley said the day after they lost against the Titans, he was like, I like these guys. I don't want to go anywhere else. So maybe next year all that stuff will be figured out, hopefully. Um, so, yeah, I think he can come back. but. I thought it was pretty crazy that Trent Bonke went on record and said, yeah, we haven't talked to anyone yet. We'll start that soon. It's like, what? It's been a couple of weeks. I would get on that. I think Josh Allen's the biggest one that you need to sign. Obviously, he wants to be here. He's said it many times mm-hmm. to us in the locker room, and he's 
arguably the best guy on the roster, you know, from this season with all of his production and the history he made. So, yeah, I don't know. The franchise tag, I don't know. I am horrible at deciding any of that stuff. It's like <laughs> I everyone should get it, you know. It's like I don't know. Yeah. So I'm yeah, but I, I yeah I think Josh Allen is the biggest one. You need to figure it out and you know, make them happy. Well, and this is what happens when you don't sign them before a season where they get 17 and a half sacks. Yeah. It, you- well, and I, it, it made sense. Look, I, I can remember, you know, we do a question of the day every right. day. And I did a question of the day midsummer last year where I asked, what kind of season would Josh Allen have to have for you to be comfortable with the Jags paying him four years, 80 million? Oh, okay. So right. a dis- steep discount in comparison right. to what we were Right, compared just to where yeah. we're going to be yep. right now. And about half the answers were no. Right? Like, it wasn't even, like, what the numbers <laughs> would be. Like, half the answers were just no. Okay. Like, and it does give you – it gives you an idea of where the fan base was on Josh Allen. Right? And I said, look, I'd pay him that now. Right? Like, I'd offer him that now. And he would tell me no. Right? No, I'm just playing on the fifth year. Yeah. And we'll see how it plays out. You know? And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the way this whole thing works out now, depending on what they're willing to offer him. And I think the Ridley thing is interesting because if they did have the franchise tag available to not use on Allen, I think they probably would use it on Calvin Ridley because it makes sense to say, let's see it another year. Right. With the question marks that you had with Calvin Ridley coming out of last season, it would make sense if you could figure out some way to have him around for one more year and then see what that looks like. The only way you're doing that, it's the franchise tag. That's the only way that's happened. The Jags aren't going to come to Calvin Ridley with a one year deal. See, I thought they could because of the fact that everybody in the NFL also watched what we watched. And that is all the different route issues. The market is going to determine that he's going to get paid. Right, like the market's going to determine that because T. Higgins, I don't think, hits free agency. Why would the Bengals let him? Right, like Mike Evans, I'm not convinced, hits free agency. See, that's who I want here. Right, like I think it's more likely than not that both those guys Mm -hmm. are where they're at. Right, like I think that T goes back to Cincinnati and Evans goes back to Tampa. And Baker said if he's back, he wants. Right, like I think that's the overwhelming likelihood. And if those two guys go back to their spots, who's the best free agent wide receiver? I guess it's Calvin. It's Calvin. Yeah. Roll Tide. Right? Like, <laughs> you're comparing him with Michael Pittman. Right? Give me Calvin. Right. Yeah. Like, who's the bigger playmaker? You know, like, it, it does. But Pittman probably knows where he's supposed to be. It's, it's so similar to what happened two years ago when the world went crazy. When the Jags signed Christian Kirk to that right. deal, it's like, why would you pay this guy that much money? And it's like, it's not really crazy. Right? Like, they felt like they had something. And he was also... By the time we got to free agency opening, he was the guy at the top of the market. Christian Kirk was the best free agent wide receiver available. The Jags had a need at wide receiver, and they said, yeah, it's worth it to us to pay him this and look forward to what he's going to be. I think by the time free agency opens, NFL teams are going to be looking around saying, Calvin's the best. Calvin Ridley is the best that's going to be available, actually available, as a free agent. And I think because of that, I'm with you. I'd love for them to figure out a way to do a one-year deal. I think that it's likely going to take at least three years paying them wow. somewhere around 20 to 23, Ooh. 24 million. I think that ultimately is going to be the cost 
on Calvin Ridley. And if you're not willing to pay it, that's fine. Kansas City or somebody's going to be willing to. That's going to look yeah, at that guy and say, yeah, and we can put him in upset. top of the depth chart. Like, I think because of what the market's going to actually be, that somebody's going to say, yeah, we'll give him 22. See, that's wild to me because he's 29 years old. He had the time off. Obviously, he's had some injuries in the past. Look, I, I was a big Calvin Ridley fan when the Jaguars got him from sure. the Falcons and watching him throughout training camp. And, and at times this season, he was electrifying and it was great. But there were so many other times that he disappeared, whether he wasn't targeted or if he was targeted, he was in the wrong position. And so sure. it, that's where I kept thinking, all right, they can get him at a discount for a one-year deal. I thought the franchise tag was insane. But you're right. The market does what the market does. And I, like I said, I would rather have Mike Evans if you're going to have a, a little bit older receiver. He's 30. I'm with you. But if you, and this goes back to, I think, Jaguars fans' complaints, and we'll get to the 10-minute drill uh, here on the other side, but if you draft well, you don't have to pay the free agents the massive money. The Jaguars could have drafted Christian Kirk many, many years ago. Then they wouldn't have had – they would obviously had to pay him the second contract, but they wouldn't have had to go pay the above-average dollars in free agency. So draft well. That's, uh, I think, what many Jaguars fans say every day anyway. All right, the 10-minute drill is next. Keep it right here on 10 to Next on 92.5 FM. Hit it. It is a custom tree surgeon's Thursday here on the drill. It is time for the 10 minute drill. Dan and Jeff had the day off. Dan will be back tomorrow. Jeff will be back on Monday. We are with you until 8 a.m. and then Taylor Dahl and Tom McManus take over. Tony Smith is here. Alessandra Pontbriand is here. E.T. is here. I am Lauren Brooks. All right, we are going to kick the 10 minute drill off with my favorite thing that's happened this week and probably in quite some time. My alma mater took down Kentucky last night, 10th ranked Kentucky. I thought Florida could win the basketball game for the reason that if you looked and paid attention to Kentucky over the last three games, they hadn't been playing that well. And so, yes, Rupp Arena can be intimidating, but Florida from the jump, I thought the most important thing was to hang with Kentucky towards the end of the half when it looked like Kentucky was going to run away. Uh, Florida, if you missed it, ended up winning in overtime 94-91, to and certainly big games from Tyree Samuel, Zion Pullen, and Walter Clayton for Florida. But there was that moment right before the half where Kentucky led by 10. And as a Florida fan, you thought, oh, no, (laughs) this is not going to be good if they start off the second half with that big of a lead. Florida cut it, though, to five. And then, obviously, like I said, in the second half, Florida played really good basketball, always really good at rebounding. But this was not a turning point for Todd Golden's team. I'm not going to say that. Florida has to make the tournament before I'll, I'll say anything like that. But it was massive for Florida fans who haven't had that much to cheer about as of late when it comes to football or men's basketball. It was a big, big win, Tony. Yeah, I... uh, Can you hear the joy in my voice? I can. I can hear the joy. It's college basketball. It's funny every year when we get to March and I'm throwing out a bracket, I'm like, oh, here's 68 more teams that I haven't watched a dribble of all season long. Like, I just don't watch any college basketball, right? And so... Look, good for Florida. You know, uh, they they found a way to get it done. And I, you know, I hear enough of the station to hear, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a Florida basketball team that doesn't have a signature win to this point in the season. Correct. So a road win over Kentucky. That's a quad one win their first of the season. They were a big deal in quad one wins. For a team that is on the bubble, if anything, right now concerning their, their tournament opportunities. So that's a. It's a monster deal this late in the season to get that kind of thing done. They're probably still, my guess would be, have to win two, maybe probably two games in the conference tournament 
to get themselves in. Depends ultimately. on the regular how the regular season goes. The right, rest of it. like, but it feels like they're probably one of those teams. Believe me, I've as little success as Vanderbilt sports has had in my <laughs> life. Right, one of the few areas that they've had any kind of level of success has been basketball historically. Mm-hmm. So I understand the feeling of getting late season and saying, "Okay, this is what has to happen." Right for us to get in, and so you know, you get a win like that this point in the season. That's a look. Any win over Kentucky is a big win. But that it is a win over Kentucky for a team that still has a chance to be a tournament team is a monster win uh, for the Florida program, and we'll see if they can continue that momentum over Ab- the course of the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing. Florida at Texas A and M Saturday, tipping off at four o'clock. Every game is massive when you play in the SEC. Alabama, obviously, Alessandra, your alma mater, ranked twenty fourth in the country. Uh, they're, I think, one of the better basketball teams now in this league. And so it's uh, it's interesting that the SEC decided to pour more resources into men's basketball. And the moment that they decided, well, now you've got a, a league that's so re- so impressive. And then, of course, you're going to have Texas and Oklahoma uh, in it soon. Uh, Alabama finished off uh, Georgia last night, by the way, 85 to 76. When it comes to Florida, it's going to be one of those seasons where the, and I said this on the Fringe Show, Zion Pollen and Walter Clayton Jr. are so crucial to the team's success, the two point guards or guards. And Will Richard, all of a sudden, as of late, has been playing incredibly well, too. Reed Shepard for Kentucky, that's who. Oh, my God. He's so good. Like, it's so frustrating to watch, as again, as a Florida fan. He's so good. And he's the reason that Kentucky was able to win in, in Gainesville earlier. Remember when he blocked the shot last yes, night? Yes, I and remember like, that. Okay, Florida, this is it. It's <laughs> yeah. done. And then Walter Clayton came in. I'm like, Let's Ugh. go, Walter Clayton. I so as the game was progressing, or at that point in the game, I literally yelled out loud, "Get the ball to Clayton!" <laughs> <laughs> I think they heard me because uh, obviously that's what they did. He drained the three. They went to overtime and eventually won. By the way, in local basketball, UNF beat Lipscomb last night. 85 to 76. That was a, a big game. UNF in the conference was five and two going in. Lipscomb was four and three. So UNF wins at home against Lipscomb. That was really big. And J. then also U. JU beat Austin P 63 to 43. Really good defensive effort for JU. Yeah, it was a good game. Good, good blowout win for JU over there. Matthew Driscoll, I love that guy. I just did a story with him. I met him a couple weeks or two weeks ago now. He is just the kindest heart. It was supposed to be like probably an eight-minute interview. could have been turned into a 30-minute interview with all the stories. And you could tell that man loves his wife. Oh, absolutely. Oh, man. He yeah, is shout just, out to Kerry Driscoll. Yeah, Coach Driscoll. He is just such a special guy here. So good, for, good for the Ospreys. Yeah, we needed both local teams uh, to win, certainly. JU had been 1-6 and six in conference play, and so, again, a big win for them last night as well. All right, I have a question for all three of you. What is the biggest disappointment you've ever experienced as a sports fan? Tony, I'll start with you. Oh, I have to relive this for a moment. Oh, I? no. Um, World Series 1996. Okay. Uh, the Braves won the first two games of that series. They're coming off having won the World Series in 95, right? Like, that's the Bob Costas call. The team of the decade finally has its championship, right? Uh, when they beat Cleveland the year before in the World Series, they have a 2 nothing series lead over the New York Yankees in the World Series in 1996. Both wins in New York, by the way. The series is coming back to Atlanta with the Braves up 2 nothing. They lose game three. So 2-1 series, game four of the World Series. Braves have a three-run lead going into the ninth inning that day. Jim Layritz, 
who has something like 70 career home runs, hits a three-run home run off Mark Wohlers in Game 4 of the 1996 World Series. Uh, the Yankees won that game in the 10th inning, 8-6. to six. The Yankees won that series four games to two mm. over the Atlanta Braves, and it would, it would be something like 25 years before the Braves would win a game against the New York Yankees again because we didn't have interleague play forever, everybody. Right. Uh, it would be that long before the Braves would win a game against the New York Yankees again. I, I can still remember, like I was just a kid, you know, at the time when that went down. I'm 13. When when that's happening, and I can remember wanting to break everything in my house <laughs> when Jim Leyritz hit that home run, and you know it's a few years before that Kirby Puckett had hit the the walk off in Game Six of the World Series against the Braves, but at least Kirby Puckett's a Hall of Fame player. Like that guy gets one on you, it's like, dang it, you know, like a a premier player comes up in a premier moment, makes something happen. The the Twins wind up winning that series in seven against the Braves that year. But Jim Layritz <laughs> hits a three-run shot off Mark Wohlers. Like, it's it's kind of like the Bucky Dent thing. Mm-hmm. You know, for Red Sox fans, there is a middle name for Jim Layritz for Braves fans. It's never gone away. And it's one of those scars, you know, sports fans, we carry the scars a whole lot longer than we carry the victories. That we do. And they run deep. That, in 1996, Game 4 of the World Series, nothing even comes close to that for me. I can understand that. Alessandra, what's yours? That's a hard one. I have to think about that. Uh, Disappointment? I don't know. Probably whenever Alabama lost to the national championship when I was in school, that definitely was disappointing. The saddest moment is when Nick Saban retired, hands down. (laughs) Hands down. But growing up in New York, I'm thinking of all my Jets friends or my friends that are Jets fans, and it's probably for them like, Every day they wake up. Right? <laughs> <laughs> as soon as Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles. Yeah, right. that, yeah there you go. That's yeah. probably the biggest disappointment for them. Yeah, to be honest, thankfully I've uh, only been fans of, or I've only been a fan of winning teams. So I don't have too many disappointments. <laughs> go Gators! <laughs> E.T., what's yours? I have a feeling, was yours 2017 for the Jags? No. Oh, okay. What you got? Super Bowl forty nine. Uh, uh, Seahawks, Patriots, not giving, oh, that's right. not giving Marshawn Lynch the ball three, four times in a row. That that crazy call. Who was it? Bevel deciding yeah, to um, Bevel. putting the ball in, in Russell Wilson's hand in that interception. I was there live. I was recording Ooh. it. Um, I thought we were going to get our second Super Bowl championship. I was ready to go turn up. I was about to go crazy that night, and uh, I, took, I took my phone out, started recording, and you could hear me say, "What the." <laughs> oh my! Yeah, so Super Bowl Forty Nine. Okay, hands down. and then you went crazy that went, night. Yeah, I went crazy that the night. Opposite but the opposite night. crazy. Yeah, again, uh, perspective with that one. Absolutely. <laughs> I have two, but I was around twelve when Florida lost to Nebraska in the national championship in nineteen ninety five. I understood, obviously, how important it was to get to the national championship and all that, but I didn't understand at the time how bad Florida was going to lose. And I bet a teammate, or I mean a classmate of mine, $5. When you're 12 in 1995, $5 was a lot of money. Like Now that'd be probably like $500, right? And I bet a kid that Florida would beat Nebraska, and 
To this day, I have never again bet on my team. For people who don't know, Nebraska mm-hmm. won in, in very convincing fashion. Yes, but Florida won the next year. So uh, and then as a Jags fan, it, for me, it was 2017 losing to the Patriots. Everyone always says Miles Jack wasn't down. Certainly that's the, the way we remember it. But there was also the third and 18 that was – just an absolute dagger Mm -hmm. thanks to Tom Brady. And so when the Jags lost that game, I cried. I I don't, I haven't cried that many times about (laughs) losses in sports. I absolutely cried, especially Tony, because we knew as a radio station, we'd be going to the Super Bowl. Like we had already talked about it here. And so I knew too, that I was losing out on that opportunity to go to Minnesota. And and that's what, because I went to Minnesota uh, for the (laughs) Super Bowl and radio row that year. Uh, You you talk about a somber week on radio row, you know? Um, And it's funny because it was in Minnesota. Minnesota lost the NFC championship game, right? Like they were on the other side. So the whole city with us involved, (laughs) like we were just kind of like, oh, this is, this is great. You know, Radio Row, this is is awesome. And we thought, too, that had the Jags advanced and beat the Patriots, they would have beaten the Eagles. Like, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But we all convinced ourselves because of how good that Jags defense was. We would have loved to find out. And then so ironic, obviously, Doug Peterson was the head coach of the Eagles. Then now he's the head coach of the Jags. All right, E, we have a giveaway, don't we? Sports concepts and rationalizations. We always give away a little razzle-dazzle. And today, I got a free car wash to liquid sunshine, as well as a, a, a an alignment from Tired Outlet. And all you got to do is be kind and be courteous and holler at your boy, and I got you. All right, call number 4, 641-1010, and you win all of that. We've got one segment to go here on The Drill on 1010 XL 92.5 FM. Are they suspended, or is it a vacation day for Dan and Jeff? It's a special Custom Tree Surgeons Thursday edition of The Drill on 1010XL. Happy Thursday morning, everyone. Alessandra Pontbriand from Channel 4 is here. Tony Smith from Jaguars Today is here. E.T. from The Drill is holding it all down. I'm Lauren Brooks from The Frangie Show and Helmets and Heels. I'll be back uh, this afternoon. We're about to turn it over to Taylor Dahl and Tom McManus for the 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock shift. Because, again, E.T., four hours in the morning, that is just very difficult. You make it look easy, though. Hey, man, in and out, in and out. (laughs) Uh, by the way, I, I was just telling you in the break, Tony, but I'll share it on air. A good friend mm-hmm. of mine texted me that the game that you were talking about, that Larritz game, was one of his fondest memories. So yeah. all those Yankees fans out there, I think they enjoyed your telling. All the Braves fans, on the other hand, yeah. not so happy right by now. By the way, that was Larritz's only three RBI of that entire series. <laughs> was that <laughs> To swing. make it even worse, yeah. right? Oh, believe me, I remember. Uh, <laughs> I can yeah. still feel it. Is it still personal? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh yeah, like it, it as a baseball fan. If you're not a Yankees fan, it always feels personal when you play the Yankees, right? Like that's kind of how it is. But yeah, '96 made it real personal, <laughs> right? Like it's when the Braves win a regular season game and just like an interleague game. I'm like, yeah, like they won a series against the Yankees two years ago. I was like, yeah, you know, like I it, there's something different about it, and maybe. Kind of like what the Jags are dealing with with the Titans, mm-hmm. right? Like it's a race to a Super Bowl championship. That's the only thing that can really make you not feel 99 the way that you feel 99. Right. Right now, as a Jaguars fan, last year that Week 18 helps, right, to finally get over on them in one of those moments. It yeah. helps. But that ain't winning a Super Bowl, and it's not giving you an opportunity to win the Super Bowl, which is what you thought you were on your way to. Right. In in 1999, so I I think it will 
let's meet again in the World Series and make it happen. Like, I think that's the only thing that would get me to, okay, I'm over Larence. Like, I think that would get me over that moment because they did it again to us. It's not the only World Series the Yankees even won against the Braves. They swept us. Um, but that's that's not as painful. No, because they were never in that series. Exactly. 2-0 going back home, three-run lead in the ninth inning, and Jim Lairitz being the reason that you don't win it. <laughs> like, that, uh, you know, you, you don't walk away from that. And you mentioned the Titans. I mean, to have one game where the Jags can get into the playoffs, one game you have to beat a five-win Tennessee team yeah. with a banged-up Ryan Tannehill and a bad Tennessee offensive line. And the Titans win. So it it, it kind of cancels out last crazy? year's win. It really does you know cancel out last year's win. All right, let's say hello to Doc Kevin Murphy. Southeast Orthopedic Specialist is not affiliated with the NFL or the Jacksonville Jaguars. Discussion regarding injuries is solely based on opinion. Coming up, the weekly Southeast Orthopedic Specialist Medical Report featuring Dr. Kevin Murphy, a board-certified orthopedic surgeon specializing in sports medicine, upper extremities, and arthroscopy of the shoulders and knees. Dr. Murphy is a nationally and internationally recognized orthopedic expert. He's a former orthopedic consultant to the White House and the Pentagon and currently serves as head team physician for UNF, the Jacksonville Iceman, and Northeast Florida. Florida area high schools. Well, hello, Doc Murphy. How are you? I'm good. Good. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. All right, I want to ask you about stingers because those come up so often in football, and we just saw this happen with Christian McCaffrey for the 49ers. How quickly can you play after you've had a stinger? So a stinger is a stretch injury to the nerves coming out of the neck and basically gives you numbness and weakness in your arm. So you see the guys come off and their arms just kind of hanging. They're shaking it because it's numb and tingling. Um, so when they can play is when the strength returns. So you'll see them over on the sideline checking, pushing them out to the side to make sure their rotator cuff strength is okay. Um, recurrent ones, sometimes you get residual weakness, and that, that's a big deal. Okay. And then concussions. We've seen players get evaluated for a concussion, come right back in. We've seen other players have to go in the concussion protocol. What exactly are – how do they check – that part of the concussion. Mm-hmm. So if it even looks like a concussion now, uh, there's independent physicians that are there and pull them out and get them checked. They go in the tent and they ask them some questions. That's um, how it starts. Okay. And it's a memory thing typically. And they'll ask them certain questions and they have to repeat things and add numbers. And, you know, they base it on a baseline test that the guys did before the season started. And if they're not within a range of accuracy, then they, they have to sit and go through the whole drill. Okay, so it's not a light being shined in the eyes. No. That's what I always thought of. <laughs> no. Is that how no, it was No fingers school? being held up. Back in my day, it was. Yeah. Okay. How many yeah. fingers am I holding up? Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. Rocky tapping the back of the neck. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. Three, four. No more of that. Yeah. Um, I know you're talking about stingers right there. We saw not only McCaffrey, there was a 49ers defender, I can't remember who, that came off kind of holding his shoulder, and it's like, that's something with his shoulder. I can't tell exactly what's going on there. From a perspective of how much time someone can expect to miss in a game or in a season when you have stinger as you said it's just getting feeling back in the hand right um with a shoulder maybe being dislocated coming out of socket like how much time can a person be expected can you just pop it back in and are you ready to go or how does that play out well that's a great question the the stinger again they got to get their strength back the numbness tingling in the hand 
certainly that goes away usually pretty quickly, but if they have any motor weakness to the muscle, they can't play. Mm -hmm. So once the muscle returns strength-wise, and that usually is pretty quick within, you know, a a series or so, they're back in. Uh, A lot of those injuries are AC joints when when they come off holding their arm. Um, And those, usually you're not going back in that day, um, but that's kind of a two to three week, sometimes a week. Um, You can inject those and get them back playing. Dislocations, the ball slides out of the socket and usually rip things like the labrum which helps hold it in there, you, can, you do pop it right back in, usually mm-hmm. on the sideline. If you get it in quickly, um, some guys who have had recurrent dislocations, you know, they've had it happen before, they're, they're comfortable. You can send them back in and play again if the strength of their shoulder is okay. Um, and those are things that you typically have to fix later. When you look at the 49ers injury report, I think there's only like four or five guys. Is it kind of remarkable this far into the season that only a few are banged up and they're only limited to practice. It's not like they're really, really hurt. Well, that's why they're in the Super Bowl, mm, probably. That, that plays into it a lot. They got, I think that one guy, I can't remember who it is, had a pec tear. That was a big controversial one that he's being shopped around, whether he's going to get it fixed or whether he's going to play or not fixed. That was an offensive lineman. Yeah, and those, uh, you know, I don't know why there's so much controversy about that or questions. I think he may be seeking opinions that he doesn't like. Didn't didn't like the first opinion, but if you tear the pec, uh, the muscle the, it goes muscle to tendon, tendon to bone. So if the tendon tears off the bone, you fix it. That's pretty straightforward. If it tears in the muscle belly where the muscle attaches to the tendon, you don't fix those. And partial tears you don't fix either. So usually there's not not a whole lot of question or controversy about a pec, but this one seems to be um, more of a concern for people. Yeah, I think that's plays- Joe Tooney. The yeah, yeah. Kansas City offensive lineman that's right. doing it. And they had, you know, I think it was, was it Kelsey um, it, for the Eagles last year in the Super Bowl? There was somebody on the Eagles offensive line that was in a similar situation. It was like, do I play through this? Do I get a fix now? You know, and we were kind of playing these games the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl as to whether or not he'd be available. I think he wound up playing. It was one of the linemen there for Philadelphia. I, I don't know if Tooney, he, he missed the AFC championship game with it. We'll, we'll see well, if some weeks uh, is enough. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure it hurt. But if, if it's not fixable in that it's a muscle belly tear, it, it'd be, it's like trying to sew hamburger together. So you don't fix those. But the tendon attachment, if it tore off, you can fix that within three weeks or so and still have a good outcome. So uh, they may let him play. If it's torn off completely, you're not going to make it worse. It's already completely torn. Uh, it just may hurt. He may not be as effective because he can't push as well. So you don't think he could get like irreversible damage if he plays? No, and it... that's 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 kind of the doctor question, not the the coach question. So the the return to play thing is: Am I going to cause this guy further harm by putting him in the game? And if the answer is no, you can let him go. If the answer is yes, you can't you can't be influenced by the the scenario whether it's the Super Bowl or not. Were there times this season that you saw Trevor get injured and thought, okay, he's not going to be able to play, and then he played and you were like, wow, that's amazing? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, the knee injury, the first one. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was a true, you know, grade two, three tear of his MCL, I, I would not have told him to play. I would have said you can't play. And maybe they did and he overrode some, uh, you know, that certainly can happen in some of these high-profile guys, but uh, that's – he. He showed his leadership there to play through things uh, and potentially putting himself at risk. And that's the interesting part is if he doesn't play, that was the Thursday night game against the Saints that he Mm -hmm. played right after that knee injury. 
and the Jaguars won, and it seemed so important at the time, but you wonder now, looking back the way the season ended, if he hadn't played through some things, would he have been a little bit healthier when the Jags needed him most? Yeah, good question. I I think the knee didn't seemingly bother him throughout the season, um, seemed to heal fine, but yeah, that's a certainly a, a point of contention when you when you let a guy play and you can potentially put him at risk for further injury. Only way I can explain it is Trevor must do yoga. <laughs> well, he said he had good genes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about yoga, but yeah. how do you get bent <laughs> up like that and not break everything in your leg? Like I, like I can't understand. It's called it. being young. Yeah, I was just going to say, oh my gosh, it's called being young and and yeah, maybe flexible. Uh, absolutely. All right, what does your day look like today? Today's a clinic day um, at uh, Center One, so I'll be over there all day. All right, sounds good. Well, we're about to sign off as well. We're going to turn it over to Taylor Dahl and Tom McManus. Uh, thank you so much, Alessandra, for hanging out with us today. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you, guys. It's just so fun. Absolutely. Nervous, but fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. No need to be nervous. Always fun around here. Tony, thank you, and we'll be listening at 10 o'clock. Yeah. Jaguars today. Me and Mike Dempsey will be back on at 10. Sounds good. And E.T. will be listening until 10 o'clock. Yeah. Y'all sure y'all want to stay two more hours? I think Taylor and Tommy have it. That's what I think. I bet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. For Alessandra, for Doc Murphy, for Tony Smith, for E.T., I'm Lauren Brooks. Enjoy the rest of your day. It's musical chairs on the drill on this special custom Tree Surgeons Thursday. Good morning. Uh, musical chairs, that's funny. Because obviously it, it's different voices on here this morning. You just heard uh, Lauren Brooks, Alessandra, and Tony Smith. And then now you get Taylor Dahl and Tom McManus, ET, still with us this morning. Hey, Tommy, how you doing? Good morning, Taylor. I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm good. Are I just you? found out why we're doing this. I was like, why are we, <laughs> like, doing, why are we why here? Why are we here at 8 to 10 again? <laughs> that's why. Okay. Yeah. Good. So Always fun. If you are just tuning in, Dan and Jeff have a little bit of an overlap of their days off. So we mixed it up a little bit today. Um, get some new voices in here in the morning. And uh, Dan will be back tomorrow. But. Cool. Um, are you a morning person, Tommy? Yeah, you I are? get up pretty early. Have you always been a morning person? No, okay. no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, when I was, uh, well, before kids, right? Because yeah. the babies get you up. Um, college, no. Well, okay. it, it depended. Winter conditioning, yeah. The, you had the to cough be. would have you up at five. <laughs> um, but other than that, no. I, and naps were a lot longer back oh, in yeah. the day, like two hour. <laughs> na- like I, today, I take like a 20 minute nap oh. in the afternoon. And but you're good. I'm, like rocking and rolling good. <laughs> like, yeah, like I'm all ready to, you know, re-energize. And it's typically after lunch. Food yeah. makes me tired. Like, yeah. makes a lot of people tired after. But, but yeah, man, uh, those two-hour naps, you're like, whoa, that you're was like, deep. You wake up in a different world. You're <laughs> totally, like, what day is it? Totally. Even more tired <laughs> when you sleep that long. But anyway, yeah, no, I love getting up in the morning. Uh, my youngest, Harley, goes to Douglas Anderson, so she's uh, for dancing. She's. We got to either get her, uh, you know, we're leaving at 7 or the oh, yeah. ride's picking her up at 7. So I'm, I'm up at around 5, 4.35 sometimes. Um, sometimes a little bit later. Yeah. You know, it depends. Yeah. How about depends you? on the day. I am not a morning person, and I've tried really hard yeah. to be a morning person because I just feel like, obviously, when you actually get up early and uh, start your day with, like, coffee and breakfast and get to actually just, like, yeah relax a little bit when you wake up before having to like get up and go you do feel better absolutely Um, and the people that work out obviously that like gives them energy for the day I'm so bad at it though and I try like every morning I set my alarm for one time but then I have another alarm that's like okay if you don't want this one here's a later one Um, I've tried to get better about it obviously when I was doing the drill for that year or so I was on here doing updates and stuff 
that, I did start finding myself waking up earlier naturally after mm-hmm. that. Like on the weekends, it would be 8 o'clock and I'd wake up, and that did not happen before that. No, right. Well, I did uh, 6 to 9 on another station for three years oh, in the yeah. morning. So I was, you know, I, I didn't mind. I, the, the key is going to bed going to bed early <laughs> enough, you know, save enough. And when I get up, man, it's a cup of joe, and I'm on pretty much on Twitter right away. I'm, yeah. I'm just looking to see what so. happened overnight because I'll, I'll go to bed. I mean, I'll, there's, I could crash at 9 o'clock sometimes, Same. 9.30. Mm-hmm. I'm just exhausted. Now, you early morning workout people. Now, my, my, my number two, Kelsey girl, who's up in Massachusetts, she would like going to the gym like the on morning. Mondays early yeah. after the weekend, I, but I could never say no. But I get tired after my workout. Yeah. I really do like sleepy tired. Mm-hmm. So I'm not one of those that can that work energizes out. You. Yeah. And no, it doesn't enter. It makes yeah. me tired. So I actually I kind of time my, you know, workout before lunch maybe or mm-hmm. after, you know, maybe after that quick nap, then I'll hit the gym. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm 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 tired, but I'm not tired where I want to fall asleep I'll at fall five. Back asleep. No, no, but <laughs> Hey, hats off to you if you get up working out, man. It's, yeah. As long as you're doing it, yeah. it's good, good stuff. Good morning, E.T. How you doing over there? Yo! <laughs> He's always in shape. You don't have to do anything. And, we- all right. Yeah. right? This, this sweater make it look like that. Yeah. I could use a couple of laps. <laughs> well, we had our uh, 1010XL Pro Bowl games yesterday. I saw that, yeah. Um, pretty funny, pretty um, entertaining, honestly, from me watching on the outside. Yeah. E.T., uh, you guys did crush it in the in the tug of war, though. Yeah, you know, it's all about strategy, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> How to set the other team up, you know, something light, nothing special. All right. Well, let's get into some football, Tommy, because yeah. I, I know uh, one game left of the season, oh, yeah. as in the Super Bowl. Uh, let's start there a little bit. Yeah. I know you've probably talked about it, and they've talked about it a lot on here, but I do want to uh, get your thoughts on that a little bit. Were you Was that your guesses for the weekend, uh, Ravens-Chiefs moving I on? Did, no, I, I can't say I, I did. Um, I, uh, I, thought the, uh, I thought the Ravens would win at home. Okay. Very impressed by Kansas City. Um, and I was hoping for Detroit. Mm-hmm. I did think they had a chance, and they did. Yeah. Um, but you know what? The two best teams are going to go at it. It's going to be a great battle. Should be a great game. Uh, I love the. You know what? And and we all love, you know the 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 uh, the skill players. Mm-hmm. That, you know you love you love the scores and all that. McCaffrey and uh, Mahomey and Kelsey, and they're all great. But you got two of the toughest teams yeah. in the NFL. Oh, physically, definitely. physically up front, ready to get out. And look, Chiefs defense hasn't been great all year, but they've yeah. become great. What they were able the to right do time. against Baltimore was and like they could completely shut down everything that worked for them to the point where you felt like the Ravens had to completely change their game plan and didn't know how to work around that. Yeah, and look, you know, the ball didn't go their way either. Yeah. You know, you had you had the turnovers, um, you had to miss P.I., but Lamar should have never thrown that ball in the first place. There were yeah. three defenders, but that was P.I. I can't <laughs> believe even the broadcast was like, yeah, no, that's good. You're like, what? He hit him way before the ball was even close, but whatever. Maybe they thought it was uncatchable. I don't know, but yeah. that was terrible. Uh, but listen, I, I tell you what. KC to me, um, and it was it was, it was was Mahomie, Kelsey, uh, Chris Jones, and I kept watching Trey – Smith, number 65, their mm-hmm. guard. And holy cow, those four, it was a fight. I mean, yeah. it was like, you know what? You guys think you're the best. You got home. We're the underdog. You haven't beaten us. We're coming in here when it's, you know, when the game's on the line. And, and again, the game could have gone the Ravens' way. Yeah. There's no doubt. A couple oh, things yes. here and there. You're, 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 you're winning. 
Uh, Lamar didn't have his best day, but again, he could have done enough. I was surprised. You know, it's funny. Right before, uh, was it Romo calling it and Nance? Mm -hmm. Right before, it was a play late in the game. Lamar was just hanging in the in the pocket with nobody. Like there was no real pressure, mm-hmm. but he wasn't getting rid of the ball. And I was like, "Man, just go! Just like, what are yeah. you doing?" And even almost like, "Yeah, he's taking too long to decide if he's gonna run or not." Yeah, um, but in his he, head at that moment, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But was, like you, you mentioned those guys, and they were in his face. They were. It, it was one of those days where you felt like. What what happened to Lamar in previous years, Kansas City figured out, hey, if we can figure out a way to get to Lamar Jackson and force him to make some decisions he doesn't want to make, yep. then that's how you that's how you get to him. Well, and when you have a player like Chris, Chris Jones, jo- I know. Uh, who what- when he wants and he always wants to. Yeah. But playoffs he even picks it up even more. Yeah. You, you just see it. Just a different notch. It's just I mean, yeah. he's, he's he can beat anybody. Which we'll talk about anybody. that a little bit later because that's the toughness that we want here in Jacksonville, and that's what a lot of people have been kind of hammering the last couple weeks, and we'll talk about the Jaguars specifically a little later. But, Tommy, I want to talk about some of these because the other big topic right now in the in the NFL is coaches, all of yep. the coaching hirings being made. Uh, the Seahawks made – made their hire yesterday that. so that now leaves one final co- one final team without a coach and that's Washington wow. um which i feel like is <clears throat> an interesting one because Washington has been through obviously with all the Dan Snyder and yep. mul- multiple coaches trying to figure out quarterbacks there's a lot of stuff going on in Washington yeah. so and you're you're the last team the last team to try to figure out a coach and i feel like a lot of times that that hurts you yeah well listen there there's still a prestigious franchise you know what I mean I mean they're one of those I mean look they haven't done much you know lately but they are still one of those iconic like Chicago yeah you know like the Giants I mean like all all the old older ones that have been around forever um look there's still plenty of candidates out there mm-hmm. um you know if I'm them I'm, I'd probably go more towards a Belichick or, or yeah. Carol even uh although it's funny now that Boston College has an opening. People yeah. up there are like, "Man, let's get Belichick." <laughs> oh, really? There's yeah. Well, Kraft's on the board, so yeah. may, maybe who knows? You just you never know. But uh, listen, Washington's still a great job. Yeah. Eric Bieniemy, I think, is being strongly considered. Yep, that's Look, one of the if ones he gets left. his shot, good for him. Uh, you know, uh, he he probably deserves it. You yeah. know, just in in the time and the, the fact that he's been wanting to be a head coach for so long and probably deserves to be one. So. I think they'll find that, you know, it'll be a great – I mean, look, whoever gets a job, it's yeah. a great job. Yeah. It's a great and, gig. Well, and so let's – when you look at that, because Belichick has not been hired yet, are you surprised about that, first of all? Well, if the the reports are true that Atlanta's like, we're not giving you all that power, I, 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 I understand I don't think, that factor. I don't know if I would either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Do you think that if Belichick does not get hired this season, do you think somebody would look at him next season, or do you think this would be the end? You know, I think it really – I mean, look, the guy is still considered one of the greatest defensive minds of all time, Mm -hmm. you know, and I know it's a pass offense, whatnot, and he struggled with that, obviously, not having the QB, and then, you know, he had his defensive coordinator calling offensive plays. I know. That was weird Something crazy going on, some kind of potion up there. Maybe they're (laughs) hanging out in Salem or something. I don't know, but – no, I, I still think he would get looked at. And maybe yeah. a year off would be good for him. Yeah. You know, you know, a lot of coaches uh, uh, say that. You know, mm-hmm. they want to get back in because the itch happens probably yeah. pretty quick. But uh, I think, look, he's 
He's still one of the best, and uh, if he can get the offensive, the right offense, like a McDan- look, McDaniels and him worked great yeah. when he was his OC, yeah. and they had the QB, of course. But even without with Mac, they were a little bit better with with uh, McDaniels. So going to get the right offense coordinator. Uh, people want like some of these owners will want him because he's chasing that all time win. Yeah, you know which organization doesn't want to be known for that? And yeah. a lot of great coaches have moved on. And gone to other teams. I do feel like it would have to be the perfect situation almost because you you do feel like Bill would want to go somewhere where he already has a, a pretty solid team in place and a quarterback. Because yeah. I, I feel like what he just had to kind of deal with the last couple years with the uh, Zappies and Mac Jones and the, the kind yeah. of in and outs of that, I feel like he would want to go somewhere where he knows he has at least a, a solid foundation in place because he is headed. He's at the yeah. end, and he wants the wins right now. Well, and the coordinator's got to be the right yeah. coordinator. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, look, you look at here in Jacksonville. What, what does Doug want? He wants his defense coordinator. Just handle the defense. Yeah. Let me fix this offense. Let me get this offense right. And that's, look, if if that's, you know, that that's the kind of coach you are, right? You're a defensive coach. You're an mm-hmm. offensive coach. Well, if I'm an offensive coach, and I want to make sure my defense is, is definitely taken yeah. care of. And maybe that's not my strong suit. You know, I can lead them, you know, as a team, but I need the right coordinator to make sure that they can handle the defense. So is that the reason that you think they went that route in hiring the defensive staff over the offensive staff? Because Doug knows that he can help more on the offensive side of the ball and needs the defense to be handled? I've been told Doug feels like he can fix the offense. He okay. can get it right. Okay. Um, and then the defense, you know, I was surprised. I didn't, th- to be honest with you, I wasn't looking for anyone to get fired after the year. I wasn't. I, I thought, you know, they need an attitude adjustment. I think they did read the press clippings. I mean, the head coach told us early in the year before they even did anything, they were reading them. I think they did, uh, you know, as they got to eight and two in the first seed and whatnot. I think San Fran put a big, like, uh oh, yeah. maybe we're not that good of a football team in their heads. Um, and they, you know, look, the, the, the blueprint for beating this team has been out physical, mm-hmm. out muscle them, and, and it works. Yeah. So the teams that have done that have done that. But um, I get, look, you know, when Doug was hired, um, you know, he had only a certain amount of time to put a staff together. Not everybody he wants is available. Mm-hmm. Like he may have a list, like, you know, uh, he goes with Caldwell. I thought, look, I um, I know a lot of people out there want to blame coaches and whatnot, but the, the guys that get pushed around up front, I don't blame the coaches. Yeah. I blame them. And and by the way, you know, at last year the defense uh, really stepped up after that Dallas game. You know, yeah. and finished the year strong. This year, for the first mm. ten weeks, the defense was carrying the yeah. team. You know what I mean? So I I I don't know. Look, I I look more at the players. I kind of I kind of think they you know got their head in their clouds a little yeah. bit, and they maybe didn't do as much to prepare. Week in and week out. And maybe Caldwell didn't hold him accountable to doing that. I'll tell you this that I didn't like, if I may. Um, you know, after the San Fran game, Coach Caldwell on the Thursday, the Thursday after, he's like, what did you tell the team? Well, I told them that wasn't us. That was a bunch of imposters. And I remember being like, what? What, <laughs> what kind of message is that? Because yeah. when you say that to your team, they're like, oh, oh okay. yeah, that wasn't me. Yeah. Missed the tackle? Wasn't me. That was just, I would have made it that was eight just out a of fluke, ten times. That was just a fluke game. We yeah, were, no, but we don't have he, to work on our tackling. We right. know how. And then the crowd, no, you know, like yeah. all these excuses, excuses. crap yeah. that I just can't stand. Um, but uh, you know, look, I'm 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 happy that uh, uh, Ryan Nielsen is here. If yeah. he if he is, and I hear he's at holding him accountable 
And by the way, holding you accountable doesn't mean rah, rah, yell in your face. Mm -hmm. It just means, hey, man, here's your job and do it. And if you don't do it, I'm going to find someone else that can do it. Yeah. Because I can't have you be a liability out here. If he's that kind of coach, we have plenty of – look, I think offense and defensively, on the outside, we have plenty of talent. Mm -hmm. We need it on the inside. Okay. Up front on both sides of the ball. We need more beef, need more attitude, need more nastiness. And that's what we are going to get to next, Tommy. On the other side, we will talk about some the Jaguars offseason, some of their needs, where they even uh, begin to focus on some of these things we'll do. So we'll do that on the other side. I'm Taylor Dahl. This is Tommy McManus, ET, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. We're hoping Dan and Jeff show up for work tomorrow. It's a special Custom Tree Surgeons Thursday edition of The Drill on 1010XL. So, E.T. Uh, Hold on, Tater. Okay, we're going high. Hold on, Tater. Get it. Hold on, Tater. <laughs> I need Tommy Matt for this one right here. Bang that head, Tommy. Right there, baby. Woo! Thunder! <laughs> Woo! That's like a kickoff tune right now. It is. Run down your hair on fire. <laughs> Smash right into him. Now, though, you can, there's none of that going on today. But nah. Back when you had to break the wedge. Yeah, we had the, the, the wedge busters. <laughs> oh, gosh, those guys were so big. Oh, Tommy, you had, you had, did you, have to, you ever had to bust a wedge? Oh, yeah. Woo! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's a concussion. Right? The, yeah, but oh, you, the man. key is you got to split that? them. What do you mean? What are we talking about? So they about? used to be able to, uh, you know, they would form They'll a They'll form up on kickoff. Oh. Kick off, the return would be oh, behind yes. the wall. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, So they had guys on that side that had to bust through that wall. Oh. <laughs> But the key was to you were the wall get in between. And on occasion, yeah, yeah. it went that way, yeah. Oh. Um, oh, between as opposed to going ahead straight up, you go in between the wedge. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you fade, you try, yeah, because yeah, those guys are too big, man. They, you, you get hurt. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you got to be There's smart like out there. Man. I, I love a good whack, but, you know. <laughs> right. You got to gotta measure, you know, the circumstances <laughs> from time to time. <laughs> You also uh, have a football game to play, so. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, kickoff was fun, man. That was good. That's a good one to be on. That is. Yep. Uh, looking back, is there, when you look back on your playing time, is there a game for you that just that stands out the most of one that you could you feel like is your favorite game you've ever played in? Um, <laughs> Miami, Boston College was Miami. How many tackles you had, Tommy Matt? I had a lot. I had like 19 <laughs> had <a lot>. tackles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. BC was great, man. I, I love playing there. But for the Jags, um. You know, that 96 year was, was pretty special. It was a year after my dad died, and I ended up being the starter midway through the fourth game of the year, all the way through through the AFC Championship game. Uh, beating Buffalo, beating Denver. I, I really, I, I probably had my best games game against Denver. Got a game ball for it, for that win. But, uh, yeah, it. yeah, Love it was it. great, man. It, you know, but it's funny, you know, and, and I talked to my, you know, a lot of former players about, like, what about the ones you missed, you know? Do you ever think about, like... Like one you didn't get to play Yeah, in? like, yeah. I, I have this this bad memory of... In the the the, uh, the Denver game uh, in the playoffs, Elway broke containment, and he's running down our sideline, and I'm, I'm coming at him, and Terrell Davis is in front of him. Like, and I'm coming from an angle, mm-hmm. and Terrell's trying to lead him. And, of course, my dumbass just said, run through Terrell, <laughs> like... You know, because I'm Bad a dummy. <laughs> but I could have totally faked him out and yeah. sent Elway to the freaking moon. He probably would. I don't know if he would have gotten up from it. It was, although he's a big dude, he probably would have. Um, but I think it plays like that. Like yeah. those are like 
ones that you know, could have altered the game well, in some just, form you know, a little bit. Well, highlight plays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a play in 96. Uh, We're playing New Orleans. And it's their last drive, and we lost on their last on their last drive. And uh, like the first, I don't know, was second or third down, they they ran a wide choice, which just means the tight end comes in between the backers. Mm-hmm. And I made a beat on it, and I knocked it down. I didn't even Should try to pick right, it off. Right, right. Mm-hmm. I pick it off. The game's over. Yeah. You know, and then we're not nine and seven. We're ten and six. Yeah. You know, just stuff like that. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's a lot of moments like that because I know we talk about it here of yeah. okay well if this thing and this thing did or didn't happen in this game how right. how much different it could have been look at zay this flowers yeah. L- yeah look at zay. look at zay he's going to yeah. he's doing it now but he's going to look back and be like man <laughs> what if i made that play I what know. if i what if i took one more step before i reached the ball you can't mm-hmm. blame the kid he's trying to make a play yeah. i thought he was in there he was having a great too. game the taunting you know the thing that nobody really talked about the taunting and he's got to settle down you can't do it can't cost your team that penalty but I think it was Snead. Wouldn't let go of his leg at first, oh, yeah. and he's like yanking yank, it out, like, like kicking like, him off. Almost. And then he then he looked over him. Now he shouldn't have spun the ball and done all that. But mm-hmm. I understand while he was at first like, Yo, get off me, yeah. you know. And you. that that <laughs> happens a lot. I notice a lot during yeah. games where someone will get called for a penalty, whether it's taunting or whatever it is. And then when they go back and you see it from the start. Usually that other person did something to Egamon at some oh, point. Yeah. And yeah. because I remember a, a few years ago, it was I want to say it was CJ Gardner Johnson who's always he's that's just kind yeah, of who talker. he is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he mess he intentionally tries to get in people's head cuz oh, yeah. he knows they'll swing on him and right. they'll make some some move, but he pushes people to the actual limit and there has to be several guys out there who are like that who know they can just get in these guys heads. Yeah. And they're getting the penalty because they're just talking. Yeah, I remember Dave Whitell telling me Alonzo Spellman threatened to shoot him out in the parking lot after the game. <laughs> oh, God, I'm so mad. This guy must shoot you in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just he awesome. must have, he, he must have really got up underneath his skin. <laughs> But, I, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I have a question for you guys. T- speaking of this last season, and we talked about the toughness that the Jaguars lacked, um, especially late in the season when it comes to the defense. But if there was a certain moment or a, a certain thing that you feel like altered this season for the Jaguars, whether that's a game, a play, an injury, a certain coaching mm-hmm. moment, um, what would you say it was? Um, missing Kirk hurt, mm-hmm. and and it hurt, and then missing Zay hurt because you got to have those pieces for the offense to work yeah. right Kirk is phenomenal in the slot when the outside guys are threatening you know what I mean like yeah. they are when they're healthy uh so that I think was was one of it I tell you that the, the the Brown game when there were so many mistakes on defense that really bothered me because you're like man you're, you're so far into the year mm-hmm. they weren't running anything crazy yeah and you're not on your guy like Najoku. Now, granted, Najoku and and uh, and Flacco had something going on this year because they did it to other okay. teams, but ours seemed to be just guys out of position. And I'm like, okay, so to me, that means you're not preparing enough. Mm-hmm. You, you're just not. You, you're just showing up. You know, um, getting bullied at the line of scrimmage to me means one of two things: one, you haven't been keeping up with your weightlifting, and mm-hmm. two, your conditioning sucks. So you get high in your stance, and they take you for a ride. Yeah. I mean, it happens. You see it against Fortner. You see it against Devon Hamilton. They get high in their stance. Guess what? Don't matter how big you are. You're not. You're go, you're going backwards. Yeah. You're not going forward. So you know. So I, on them in that situation, Tommy, is that would you blame the player in that, or would you blame a coach for not calling them out of like 
Hey, why are you? Yeah. Both, because you got to have the veterans in there be like, yo, man, are you studying? Yeah. Like, I do you not know. And if you missing. don't know, let me help you out. I'll, I'll show you. I'll, let's go watch film to whatever yeah. it is. You know, my, my old linebacker coach, Steve Zabo, who's, <laughs> I love the guy, total grump. I almost fought him twice, once in college, <laughs> once in pro, once in the end with, with the Jags. He ended up going to my wedding. We're really good friends. It was just <laughs> clashing. And he would always say to us at college and with the Jags, he'd say, don't brother-in-law each other. Don't don't be like, all right, everything's cool when it's not. Yeah. Like if if your teammate messes up, you're like, you don't have to hammer them. Yeah. But don't be like, hey, it's okay. You're Get good. them next time. Yeah. You're good. Don't worry about it. That yeah. kind of stuff. Don't brother-in-law each other. That wasn't us. Yeah, yeah, yeah it wasn't <laughs> us. We're imposters. Bunch of, you know, who's that? Bunch of ghosts. Um, you know, um, so I think those, I think, Part of that played into that because yeah. look what, and and by the way, Philly went through the same thing. Oh, Did all of a sudden all those great defenders on Philly's forget defense how to play forget how to play? No, no, something else was going on in that locker room yeah. within that team where they felt like you know what, we're the Eagles, we're just mm-hmm. going to show up. Yeah, and guess what? We happened? had seventy sacks last year. Happened. We can do it again. Yeah, Et, what about you? Was there a moment this season, whether it's a specific play, injury, a coaching, a, whatever, that you feel like was the turning point for the, the kind of way the things started to slide at the end of the season? I think things started to slide when Christian Kirk got hurt. Yeah, yeah that's what Tommy was saying. Um, because like he was definitely reliable. I remember whenever we first signed him. And it was all this commotion. Oh, my goodness, y'all paid Chris Kurt all this money, all that money. And look, look how it all played out. He was a, a vital part of, mm-hmm. of the offense. He was like Trevor's go-to. Mm-hmm. And then yep. when he went down, um, obviously Zay as well, but Christian was his man. And then we were depending – that's we really started noticing um, all the missteps of, of Calvin. Oh, yeah. And so when Christian got hurt – that's when I feel like everything kind of started to and unfold. And it's a passing first offense, right. which yeah. sets up the run. It's not the other way around. Yeah. So when that passing offense not working, your running game's not doing anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when you can keep them off balance with, you know, keep that safety out of the way and, and get those guys worrying about the pass, then you hit them with the run. Mm-hmm. That's how you average five yards a carry or yeah. 4.6 or whatever it was. That old line, I mean, they were terrible this year. Part of it was that the, the passing offense. Yeah. Um, you know the and and for the record, look, they are who they are. Doug Doug is a. It's more finesse. Yeah. It's more passing. The pass will set up the run and and set up explosive plays. Mm-hmm. But when that doesn't work, you you can't expect to be all of a sudden we're going to go mean and nasty and yeah. move you out of the way. All of us, when, yeah. It's not who we are. When you're not that run heavy offense, you don't just get to click a button and all of a sudden be able to do it. That's Clearly, just not they're the they're they in shotgun. Yeah. On third and one. <laughs> I know. What are we? And that's We're what, not a running offense, that's for sure. Yeah, and that, that's what one of the things that, for me, my answer for this was just more so not a specific moment, but just I feel like the offensive consistencies, and that's throughout the season. You mentioned earlier how much the defense helped early on, yeah. and I think there were a lot. If the defense wasn't playing the way they were early on, I'm not even sure the Jags would have the amount of wins they had. Yeah, good point. Um, because there was a lot of situations where they were counting on those turnovers, they were counting on big plays to happen, and um, the big third down stuff. Stops that happened a lot early in the season that just kind of fell apart towards the end. Yep. And that there was just so many. You were still seeing turnovers. You were seeing fumbles. You were seeing uh, the their third down conversions were terrible. awful. Offensively, uh, it was terrible. All of those things started to pile up throughout the season. And then once you get hit with everything else, once you're getting hit with injuries, once the defense starts whatever was happening with them late in the season, all of that piled up and it yeah. turned into a train wreck. Well, and then on top of that, your quarterback is getting killed, killed. Yeah. and he's not himself and yeah. he's not looking like 
he should be looking. You know, uh, that's got to change as well. He's He's got some work to do. They got to get together on timing. They got to get together. You know, it's funny. You know, you see the story about Ridley now that, you know, they were frustrated with, like, I don't know who put that out there, mm-hmm. if that's even true or not. But, I mean, look, I, I'm keeping Ridley. I am. I'm not paying him a bunch of money. I'd mm-hmm. rather tag him. But I, I'm keeping him because the upside is what? Even with all his screw-ups, mm-hmm. he had 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns. Yeah. So let's After tighten being that up. For you two can seasons. tighten his ass up yeah. by coaching, by holding him accountable, the other players, whatnot. Because having him – now, I'm not saying go, don't go after anybody else either. Yeah. But you need that, that, no, that no. kind of weapon in order for Doug's passing offense to first to work yes and that's where Kirk comes in and that's where Zay comes in that's where Ingram comes in that's where ETN comes in out of the backfield mm-hmm. but you got to have that guy that scares the crap out of the, the defense going deep yeah. and I, I gotta agree with Tommy Mack because I think he is that guy if if, if he could get into that playbook he's still a burner yeah. um and also take into account that he was off for two seasons yeah so get that rust off of you okay it took yep. this entire season but like yeah, Tommy said, right. he still had we over a thousand yards. Weeks. More accountability on the offensive side too. I think we'd all agree on that, right? Because there, look, I, I was, I was seeing it midway through the year. I'm like, he doesn't know what he's doing, and that's I can tell. Yeah. You can tell he's, he's like not doing anything, or is running the wrong route, or is in the same, same. position as, as another else wide is. receiver. Right. That's what that my concern. Which I'm hoping. I think that the best option for Calvin would be to stay in Jacksonville. The worst thing I think that could happen to him is him have to go learn another offense with another quarterback with another offensive coordinator. I think it would be good for him to stay here because obviously there is some sort yep. of they're a little bit familiar now. And but my concerns come because I feel in week 18. We were still seeing him in the wrong spot. We were still seeing weird communications between him and Trevor for whatever reason. Yep. They were just not on the same page in, in many forms. He was towards the top of the league in drops. Yes, he made some incredible catches, but you got to catch some of the ones yeah. that were game-altering, game yeah. some of them. And um, so that's some of my concerns with Calvin, but I agree with you if it comes to a tag. Um, I, I don't think a one-year contract is a possibility just because of the way the wide receiver market is and the lack of free agent wide receivers that yeah. will probably be coming out because we could, I, I don't think T. Higgins is going to end up being a free agent. Um, maybe Mike Evans, Michael Pittman, those are the other guys that you're looking at. So other teams are going to be looking at Calvin just because he's simply one of the top ones that you could get in free agency. Yeah, well, he and look, I don't want him warming up his career here and then going somewhere, somewhere and kicking no. ass, right? He'll go have 15 touchdowns or, or something. So, I, look, if you could tag him, if you can keep him for a year, yeah. I would like to, and, and still draft somebody. You yeah, know, if you got a burner guy. out there that can make some plays, let's, I'm all, Especially I'll, all for Especially because we saw that. just how injuries – a wide receiver injury completely killed the offense in yep. certain aspects. So you yep. have to be able to have other guys that you rely on. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. If you're just t- tuning in, Dan and Jeff, uh, Dan, is Dan still walking to work? E? Yeah, he's walking to he's work. He's on his way right now. That's why he's taking so long. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, it would so take a while. Dan and Jeff are out today. So me, Taylor Dahl, Tom McManus, E.T., holding it over from 8 to 10 today. On the other side, we are going to be joined by Eric Eager. He is part of Sumer Sports, which is a program that helps GMs uh, for NFL teams build their rosters and kind of analyze some of these players. So we'll chat with him on the other side on 1010XL 92.5 FM. <laughs> It's musical chairs on the drill on this special custom tree surgeons Thursday. All 
right, good morning, Googans. If you're just tuning in, Taylor Dahl here, Tom McManus, E.T. filling in for Dan and Jeff this morning. And uh, we are talking a whole lot of Jaguars, and I want to continue that because as we are now into the offseason, uh, this is when we have to start figuring out what the Jacks should do to fix the things that needed to be fixed this last offseason, Tommy. And um, the problem with last season, last offseason, which a lot of people are pointing to, is the lack of things that they did. Um, yep. Not really, didn't make any signings. People knew they needed to add a pass rusher. Pass rusher. Um, people, there was a, lo- a lot of things that we pointed to throughout the offseason of like, hey, here's all the key things that we need. Um, and I feel like they just didn't hit a lot of them. They didn't make a lot of moves. You came back with 21 of 22 starters yep. on a team that kind of needed a few miracles late in the season to get into the postseason. So we're going to talk about that now. We are joined by Eric Eager. Eric Eager, um, he is the VP for Sumer Sports, which is a program that helps uh, roster management for GMs around the NFL. So Eric, thanks so much for hopping on with us. Nice to be here. Thank you. Uh, so Eric, first of all, let's start off a little bit with uh, tell me how Sumer Sports started. I know, but for the listeners of how you started Sumer Sports and r- what really you guys focus on. Yeah, so prior to being at Sumer, I was a VP at uh, Pro Football Focus, which I know a lot of people uh, that's been in the news now with the, the J.J. Watt segment on uh, the Pat McAfee. <laughs> that, and uh, um, and uh, I was building tools for uh, executives in the league and and uh, and. Uh, the Falcons. Uh, I did some consulting work with him, and then uh, when they when Paul Tudor Jones uh, started Sumer, he hired Thomas as the CEO, and and so Thomas and I decided to join Sumer together and and build. You know, a lot of the stuff PFF builds is for kind of the analytics people in the league, and so I wanted to kind of build tools more for the general managers, from kind of in that more of the roster building. You know, how to construct a team more than the kind of where traditional analytics are right now. Of you know whether to go for fourth down, whether you know kind of how to how to call plays, and so that that that's where my career. Oh, it's breaking up a little bit, Eric. Just to let you know, so I don't know. Oh, okay. okay. Um, right. How about now? We can hear you now. Can you hear me? Now? Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> good. Okay, good. Um, good. Yeah. So we're yeah. So we're basically focused on on roster building uh, yeah. rather than the. Uh, sort of, you know, whether or not Dan Campbell was an idiot for going for fourth down the other day against the 49ers. So it's a portal, Eric, and it's Tom McMahon. It's great to have you on. Uh, it's a portal for GMs to to go to and, and look at how they can build their roster, talent-fitting scheme. Uh, how about talent, scheme, and fitting the culture of that specific team? Yeah, exactly. And, and, and to your point, like, football is such a great sport, right, because um, – you know, there's so many different ways, right? You look at the two teams in the Super Bowl this year, and you have one team, you know, Patrick Mahomes has the biggest cap hit of any quarterback in the NFL. Uh, last season, they won the Super Bowl. They were the first team in NFL history to win the Super Bowl with the quarterback making more than 14% of the salary cap. And then you look at the other side, and San Francisco has Brock Purdy making about $800,000 in the Bay Area, which is probably enough to get him a small condo, you know? So that, that's, a, you know, two different types of rosters. And, you know, that those are going to be two different types of value systems, you know, whether or not, uh, you, and back when the Chiefs won their first Super Bowl against the Niners, Patrick Mahomes was making, you know, well shy of $10 million. And so they could have, you know, make, made different bets. And so 
it, it, it is really, there's more than, you know, there's more than one way to build a roster in the NFL. There's more than one time frame, and there's, and there's different ways in which teams want to approach it. And I think that that, you know, that needs to be, there, there's no one size fits all answer. And that's what makes the problem so rich. And that's why people are looking to analytics and people are looking to traditional scouting. Thomas was the director of college scouting with the Patriots when they were winning their Super Bowls in the offs. And so that that's why people are looking to, uh, you know, looking for help when they're, when they're building the roster, because it's not an easy problem. Yeah, and that, I think this year's Super Bowl matchup is almost a prime example of that, which I'll get to in just a second. I want to talk about some of the other playoff quarterbacks that we've seen this this offseason because there was all levels. Obviously, you have the Patrick Mahomes and you have the Josh Allens, but then we also had guys like Brock Purdy and Jordan Love and Jared Goff, who I feel like are all just different types of guys when they're when it comes to leading what they can do on the football field and leading the team. Uh, you and I talked a little bit off air on what happened to Miami's offense in the postseason and what kind of the what happened with Tua and McDaniel and how does that highlight the importance of coaching when it comes to particular quarterbacks on certain teams? It, it, it's it's huge, right? I was looking up the stats before this. You know, there there are teams where the quarterback is good enough to get you to where the Dolphins are every year because. The coach is able to hide weaknesses. You know, only Desmond Ritter ran more play-action passes, uh, pass, passing dropbacks, uh, than Tua Tungavailoa this year. Um, you know, so play-action passes, they often open up the middle of the field. And as we talked about in your podcast previously, like the middle of the field is the most valuable place to throw the football because, you know, guys can go two ways when they catch the ball after the catch. And, uh, and so, you know, opening up that, that play, but, you know, some guys don't need play action. Patrick Mahomes is only 24th in the NFL in play action percentage. Uh, and, and so he can obviously get by without it because, you know, he's able to, you know, manufacture throws that other quarterbacks aren't able to. And so they're able to put the offense on hard mode and sort of like game the, you know, game the NFL in different ways. And, you know, you think about the, the you brought up Jared Goff, which I think is such a great example. Goff was seventh in the NFL in play action percentage. So they're very clearly helping him a little bit. But Goff is a top five cap hit in the NFL quarterback, so they pay him a lot. Mm-hmm. So they're not able to put a ton of talent around him relative to other quarterbacks, but they're able to, because Ben Johnson is such a brilliant offensive mind, help him in different ways. So again, it's, it's that sort of gradient of how you're able to help different quarterbacks. Um, and, and Tua's in that realm where he's not making a ton of money because he's a young player. They have a brilliant offensive mind, and they're able to bring in guys like Tyree Kill with a, with a, a trade. They're able to draft Jalen Waddle. They were able to bring in Teron Armstead to be a left tackle. That offensive line, his first two years, was so bad that he was, you know, unplayable at times. And so that's kind of the perfect storm. The issue, of course, becomes, you know, once you you play a 17 game season out, even the most brilliant offensive minds, once you get to the playoffs, the guys like Steve Spagnolo, the guys like Mike McDonald, who just got a job with the Seahawks, they've seen everything, right? And so you do need to be able to move off and have a left hand to your offense when you get to the playoffs. And I'm afraid that some of those quarterbacks who need, you know, even Jared Goff in the second half against the San Francisco 49ers, you need to be able to move off of some of those easy buttons in the second half of those games to be able to have success. And, and that's why, you know, only truly these really elite quarterbacks make the Super Bowl uh, as frequently as Mahomes and Brady and Manning and those guys. You know, I think uh, uh, the NFL, Eric, and, and fans included, they get so caught up in the 
you know, the numbers of these quarterbacks, you know, how tall, how far they throw, how strong their arm, fast, quick, so, you know, uh, all these tools. But at the end of the day, their job is to run that offensive coordinator's offense efficiently with efficiently without turning the ball over. If you get the stud on top of that, that is fantastic. But, you know, look, you look at Brock Purdy, right? Perfect for that system. He fits that system. It's becoming his system. And when he's on in that system, they are very tough to beat. He's what, Mr. Irrelevant? They took Trey Lance way in the first <laughs> round. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, he's just got to fit the offense and run it the the right way. Exactly, and that and that's hard, right? I mean, that's yeah, so, so that's the billion dollar question in football because Brock Purdy was better as a college freshman than he was as a college senior at Iowa State. So you know, when you're a talent evaluator and you're looking at his college film, you have to somehow be able to translate those traits right from a, an offense that very clearly was not elevating his play and 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 put it into a system. Now, one of my friends, Sage Rosenfels, who was a a quarterback in the NFL played at Iowa State, played for Kyle Shanahan. He was Brock Purdy's, you know, uh, quarterback consultant during the draft process. And he basically was like, look, you are only going to succeed in this kind of offense. And so I'm only going to prep you for this kind of offense. That was a very smart move for Brock to bring on, you know, Sage in that realm. But like that, that is like there, I I wonder if that is kind of the new realm where it's Mm -hmm. like, there are certain kinds of quarterback coaches for certain kinds of offenses and, you know, and, and maybe there's, I've always sort of said, maybe there's two types of quarterbacks. Maybe you grade system quarterbacks on one curve, right? The Purdy's, the Goff, the Cousins, those kind of guys. And maybe you grade the Josh Allen's, the Trevor Lawrence's, who I, I still think is very good, um, but not a system quarterback. The Patrick Mahomes, you grade those guys, Matthew Stafford, on a different curve because one guy is sort of asked to do more, whereas in offenses like San Francisco's, Kyle Shanahan's really half the quarterback in those. And to your point, it's up to Purdy to really drive the car incredibly well, and he does. And I think that a lot of people want to dismiss him for that, when in reality, no, he's doing his job incredibly well. Which, Eric, I think unfortunately for some of the quarterbacks who have the the tools that you feel like could succeed but have to go through multiple offensive coordinators and multiple head coaches in their first few seasons, that's why you see them start to regress within those first first few years and obviously one of those that probably is talked about is Justin Fields but we're going I want to talk a little bit about Jags obviously the the offense here in Jacksonville had inconsistencies pretty much from the beginning of the season um they were able to hide some of them because Trevor Lawrence is able to make certain plays and because the connection he had with Kirk and Evan Ingram um people blame play calling people blamed the offensive line injuries all of these stuff but analytically what were you seeing from the Jags offense and why there were some struggles throughout the season. Yeah, I think early in the Jag season, they were winning in large part because their defense played better than everybody expected. You know, they, they got really good seasons out of Lloyd and Alua Khan and, and in, in the secondary, I don't think people expected them. And then once that regressed, it put so much more pressure on Lawrence and it kind of broke. And then obviously he had the MCL injury and the, and the shoulder and everything. And it, it really hurt them. I think, unfortunately, there's this, there's this, there's two evaluation processes for quarterbacks. There's the college to pro, so whether or not he's going to be good in the NFL. And then there's the whether or not he's good enough to pay $50 million to. And I think the hard part when you're a Doug Peterson is you have to, when a quarterback is playing on his rookie contract, you have to balance between giving him the easy buttons and evaluating him. 
And because if you just give him play action, if you just give him middle of the field, easy throws and all that kind of stuff, he could have success. But then once you pay him $50 million and you take away the Christian Kirk, and you take away the Evan Ingram and the, and some of the good players in the offensive line and so forth, then, you know, you get what the Rams had with golf and you're kind of disappointed or went with the Eagles. And so I think that it went too far that way with the Jags where Lawrence was kind of only middle of the pack. They only gave him play action on 22% of dropbacks. I think they ran the ball too much on early downs, which meant, you know, a lot of Lawrence's passing plays were in second and long and third and long, which, you know, those are just really hard plays. It's a lot easier to pass on first and 10. And I think Peterson, even all the way back to his Philadelphia days, was just, he loves to run the ball on early downs. And, and Etienne is a great back, and I, I think he's, you know, long for this league. But, you know, sometimes you really have to drop back and throw and turn first and 10 into second and three. And I, when I watched Jaguars' offense, it was always trusting Lawrence to play hero ball on second and third and long. And when you do that too much, I think the quarterback just gets into bad habits. And I think, and it showed up. And, and when, they, when you finally got to that last game against the Titans, they had no answers on those late downs. And, and I thought Rabel's defense did a really good job of kind of baiting the Jags to run even more on early downs. And then Lawrence was, you know, they had even fewer answers on those late down passes uh, than they had in, in the early part of the season. Eric, from your perspective and point of view, do, do you think Trevor's skill set fits Doug Peterson's offense and what he wants to do? I do. I think, you know, he, and I think people talk disparagingly about Wentz, but I think Wentz, was obviously an MVP candidate for a reason. And I think a lot of the things that made Wentz struggle is where you, if you are a Jaguars fan, you fear it, right? When a guy has un, un, unreal arm talent, a big body, you know, can, it can take hits. I think that as a coach, you fall into the trap of wanting, of leaning into that. And sometimes those guys can break down. And we saw it with Wentz, like Wentz had all the tail in the world and, and took too many hits and took too many injuries and broke down. And that's where I fear for guys like Herbert. I fear for guys like Lawrence, where the coach leans into the fact that he is such a stud that he can deal with all that stuff that you don't realize that just because you can doesn't mean you should. And so I do think he fits into that offense. I think Doug Peterson has to do more things that make his life easy, like play action, like middle of the field stuff. Early in the, like I said, I think he has to throw the ball more on early downs, which I think for a lot of people, they think that that's harder on a quarterback, but it's actually easier. Early down passing plays are much, much more efficient. And the, the fewer third downs you can get into, of course, the easier it is on the quarterback. And there is a re- inverse relationship between the more you throw on first down, the, the fewer third downs you get. And I think Peterson has always, from his Philadelphia days all the way to now, has always fallen into the trap of giving his quarterback third and long. And if you look at the 2017 Eagles Super Bowl season, Carson Wentz had an unbelievably outlier season on third down and long. And that's why they were 13-3 and three and won the Super Bowl. And Nick Foles got to continue that in the playoffs. And I think that Peterson would be smart to lean into more of Lawrence on early downs than late downs. Eric Eager with Sumer Sports. A couple more for you, Eric, before we let you go, because I, I think one of the glaring issues for the Jags as we enter this offseason that a lot of people are wanting to focus on, um, interior offensive line, interior defensive line. Both of those areas um, look to be weaknesses this last season and th- something that they, they definitely need to bulk up. 
And so it, my question, though, analytically, when you're looking at numbers and team success and uh, whether, the, you know, how deep they go into the playoffs, all of those categories, is, is there a connection when you point to teams who do have offensive lines and defensive lines that are near the tops of the league? Not near the top. So it's weird. And so the, the key about offensive line is just not to have glaring weaknesses. And I know that that's really hard to do. Um, so the cool thing about interior offensive line is they're available in free agency because mm-hmm. they're not premium positions. So right now, if you look at next year's free agency, you have Ryan Jensen, uh, who, you know, I think he's probably going to, he's already retired, but then you have Zeitler, Connor Williams, Andre James, you know, Aaron Brewer, mm-hmm. Lucas Patrick, guys, you have guys who have started in the NFL that you're going to be able to like sign for relatively modest deals. So that's going to be good mm-hmm. in the new NFL interior defensive line is actually coming up and if you look at the high-end contracts they're premium positions so that might be a position where the Jaguars might have to address it in the draft more than they address it in free in free agency because those guys you look at the deals that the guys have got like Javon Hargrave got a big deal in free agency last year Leonard Williams it was a second round pick mm-hmm. to get him to Seattle last year in a trade he's a free agent now but you're you know, his contract's $20 million a year. Chris Jones is a free agent this year. That's $20 million a year. You're probably going to have to go probably upwards of that, $25 million. Um, Reader, uh, you know, that's going to be 15 to $20 million. That's expensive. So I think on the offensive side of the ball, it's just about not being weak uh, mm-hmm. on the interior offensive line. Defensive side of the ball, you really do need a difference maker on the interior because all these teams want to run light fronts and, and play coverage. And, and you do need a guy that can be a two-way player there stopping the run and brushing the passer because most teams are not able to stack the boxes anymore given how good passing games can be. Eric, play GM uh, for the Jags for a second, if you would. What are you doing with Josh Allen, and what are you doing with Calvin Ridley? Uh, so I'm probably going to franchise tag Allen if I can't get a deal done because of the way that that franchise tag goes because okay. it lumps edge and linebacker together so it's cheaper mm-hmm. um and then i probably try to sign ridley to a deal and uh you have a pretty good leverage point there which is that you took a chance on him when no other team thought that he was worth it uh and i think ridley given his history is going to want some stability in his career and i think he would take less out of stay in jacksonville given their commitment to him so that would be my approach would be to try to go long term with ridley uh, and and at least in franchise tag Allen, if you can't get a long term deal done with him, what what if you do get a, a deal done with Josh? Are you tagging Ridley? Or are you saving it for something else? Uh, I, if I can't get something done with Ridley, I would consider tagging him. But you know, I don't necessarily like the tag number for wide receivers is huge yeah. because yep. because of those high end deals. I don't necessarily know if he's worth that. Okay. I think Josh Allen is worth the tag deal for a linebacker or for an yep. edge player. If they did not tag Josh Allen, what would you expect a contract to look like for him? Yeah, I mean, you're looking probably at 25 to yeah. 30 million APY yep. for him. Yep. Yeah, that's what we think. He's earned it. Mm-hmm. He's earned it. Yep, and I think yep. a lot of people here are screaming that uh, give Josh Allen his contract and figure out a way to keep Calvin here on a, at least a, a, some sort of friendly deal right now to uh, prove a little bit more what he can do. But again, uh, Eric Eager from Sumer Sports. Eric, thanks so much for hopping on with us. Hey, thanks for having me. Take care. All right, you All right. Too. that was great. All right, we Very will cool. uh, get a little bit more. I have a lot of questions coming in uh, for you, Tommy Max. So I want to get All to right. some of those Come on. Um, because it's some good ones on here. So we'll do that on the other side on 1010XL 92.5 FM.
Dan and Jeff? We'll find them. It's a special custom Tree Surgeons Thursday edition of The Drill on 1010XL. All right, wake up, everybody. I guess it's time. We heard Dan yelling. That, that means it's the morning time. Yeah. So Taylor Dahl here, joined by Tom McManus and E.T. As we are filling in, uh, one more hour to go here on The Drill this morning. Uh, I was just seeing this flash up on the TV. Yeah. Tommy, about the Pro Bowl games. Yeah. And obviously, they've grown very different than back in the day of yeah. what the Pro Bowl games were. But they were talking about dodgeball. How do you think you would fare in a dodgeball game right now? Right now? Yeah. <laughs> I'd hang in the back line. <laughs> I got a pretty good arm. I could probably wing it pretty good. Okay. Yeah, but I'm not. I don't know. I'm not moving that fast, I don't think. Yeah. I'd stay in the back, you know, see what happens. But... uh <laughs> It is what it is. We're going to be down in Orlando for a dance competition oh, for yes. Nancy Dance Studio, so we'll be down there. But, uh, you know, my wife's a pro bowler. Did you know that? I did not know yeah, that. my wife uh, was named to the pro bowl after 1998 for the Roar. Oh, Remember I love that. Roar. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I go through life uh, telling everyone my wife Joyce made the pro, pro bowl. bowl. <laughs> but I never made it, you know. Hey, by the way, uh, a lot of friends listen to the oh, morning good. show. Well, good so morning, friends. Good morning, friends. <laughs> I love it. Love I know. hearing from you. We are you. getting a lot of people texting and be like, I don't know where Dan and Jeff are, but, you know, we could deal. This is fun. Um, I want to, I have some questions coming in, Tommy, and I mentioned yeah. that before we hit the break. Uh, some good ones. So I want to, we were talking a little bit, and we just talked to Eric Eager from Sumer Sports also about the interior offensive line. And I want to get to that too because I want to get to positional needs, but we'll do that up next. Um, when it comes to center, which is what we all kind of are staring at right now yep. uh, for the Jaguars on that offensive line. And so someone sent a question in and they said, so Fortner, 6'4", 304 pounds, seems to lack the strength to bank, to bank consistency, consistency in the trenches. Do you believe Fortner has the skill set and athleticism to be a great center if he can add more size slash strength? And then he said, in your opinion, how long do you believe that should take for him to be able to do that? Well, look, I think everyone was disappointed, including inside the building, that uh, Fortner didn't take a step forward. You know, last year, I th- look, I thought his tenacity was pretty good. He wasn't ranked very well in the pass protection. But I thought that would get better. Um, they really like him because he is very athletic. I mean, he can pull from the center position and get out in front pretty well. I mean, he can. His his negatives are when people get underneath him. He just doesn't have that power uh, to uh, you know to 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 defend that off or even just have a stalemate. I mean, look, someone bull rushes you, you just want to stalemate him. Yeah, you just don't want to run it, knocking you back. So, um, I look, I'm still investing in another center. I'm not just totally you know counting him out. But I would strongly suggest for that uh, Fortner to get in the weight room uh, again. I who know? Look, I don't know. I mean, if you think you've arrived, are you working as hard in the weight room? Are mm-hmm. you working as hard in your conditioning? Are you working as hard studying the tendencies? You know what I mean? Or yeah. are you still hungry? You know, working on all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think they worked on strength at all. Yeah, I don't think Fortner did because he he just didn't show any well, didn't strength. Look like it. You know, and if he's tired, well, that's a whole other yeah. thing. That means you're not. And, and look, they don't really. I don't know. Do they condition on other teams? I went to every camp practice. They barely condition. Yeah. Uh, we used to have to condition after every practice. Mm-hmm. Like it was like you know, pay, you guys, you know, it was a pain in the butt. Another thing with Doug's, you know, the the last day of camp was full pads, full speed. It was the only time Mm -hmm. during camp. Yeah. You know, you hear from guys that are traveling around other camps, Pittsburgh's in pads, hitting every day. Like, now, I'm not saying one way works better than the other, but, 
you know, it wasn't like, uh, you know, what they're doing. They're moving around. Yeah. But I wonder if they're working on that conditioning, if they're working on that strength. Um, so athletic-wise, he's got it. Yeah. But he needs a little, you know, I think they all need an attitude adjustment, a little humble pie. Uh, you know, send him to Russia like Rocky had to do in freaking uh, Rocky Four. You know, <laughs> go up in the mountains, pick up some logs. I don't give a crap what you do. Just come back meaner and nastier on the field. Gentlemen off, mm-hmm. of course. But uh, I think they'll invest in that center position. They, they, yeah. they have to at this point. I agree. Uh, so one more before we hit break again. This one, you mentioned earlier that you do like the hiring of Ryan Nielsen. Um, it, but... The one question for him, because he just does have such a mix of schemes, but what do you think with the combination of Ryan Nielsen and what the Jags have right now, this is before we see what they do this offseason defensively, do you think fits a 3-4 or 4-3 better with the talent? I don't like have? the 3-4. Okay. And, and the, the reason why is because the guard's always uncovered. So you got to have a linebacker that can handle that big, massive guard. And that that's not an easy job to do. I also need in a 3-4 a massive nose guard that doesn't get pushed back. Yeah. Uh, so I, I prefer the 4-3 as a linebacker, of course, because you're a little more covered up. you got a little better chance to make plays at the line of scrimmage or, or close to it than you do in a 3-4, especially if you're playing, you're, you're playing the, uh, uh, the Mike linebacker. I've always thought Devon Hamilton could be a menace as a 3 technique in a 4-3 because okay. it's mostly one-on-one with that guard. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know anymore if I believe that. He's got to show me. I mean, he after this last season, he's, look, he's big, he's strong, yeah. he's athletic, but you know, you you can't be getting thrown into the linebackers' laps. No, okay, no. that doesn't help the linebacker make any plays. No. And let's be honest, when you're trying to stop the run, your linebackers got to make the tackles or your strong safety. Yeah. The D line will make some, but their job is to keep those guys off you. What did Eric just say? You need a dominant interior yeah. defensive lineman. We do not have one. On the roster right now. So either somebody's got to turn into one yep. or you got to go find, find one. one. Yep. And you were screaming that, uh, Tommy, on Twitter after the ti- the Jacks Titans game, that final game of the season, of just how, because other people were kind of judging um, just everything else and kind of how the, the corners were acting, how the linebackers were acting. And you were very focused in on no, the interior was a big problem in that game. Well, I, I, th- I think the play, like, everyone was on Lloyd for, you know, he jumped inside yeah. and then, and then you know, uh, uh, Henry bunts out said, well, let me tell you something. When you got your defensive lineman and the guard yeah. in your lap and you're trying to look around, like, which way is the bat? I have to make a guess. Yeah. Now, he shouldn't have hesitated. He should have just went for it mm-hmm. and tried to make something happen. But instead, you know, and Derek, you know, baited him. Yeah. Well, you can bait Look. There's called vertical gaps in, in, in offense or defense. So my job as a linebacker, I got to shut the vertical gap, especially if the ball's coming right at me. Mm-hmm. If that guard or center takes me on three, four yards down the field, guess what? There's a three to four yard vertical gap that that back can go any which way he wants. Mm-hmm. Granted, if there's another backer right. on the other side of the safety, what have you, then he's got to make a choice, but you never want to give them that choice. Yeah. If I smash that hole and make sure nobody's got any vertical – Guess what? The back's got to bounce it outside, and we've chased him down. He doesn't go nowhere. So it is very important to have those stout defensive Mm -hmm. tackles to keep. Look, one of the greatest middle linebackers of all time is Ray Lewis. Mm -hmm. Without those two big beefs in front of him, Goose and Sam Adams, he's not half the the, – he's still a great player, but not as half as productive in the run game with those two big, big guys in front of him. 
Yeah, and that's when we're talking about just the different levels of defense and offense and that when when we get to this time of season, which this is what I want to talk about on the other side, are the, the positional needs because I think that is important and we'll, we'll kind of rank those of how we feel what's least and most important for what the Jags need. So let's get to that, Tommy, next. Uh, we'll swing around and talk some more Jags offseason on the it. other side right. on 1010XL 92.5 FM. <laughs> Hoping Dan and Jeff show up for work tomorrow. It's a special custom tree surgeons Thursday edition of the drill on 1010XL. Have you seen that documentary? Uh, have you seen the documentary? I saw the highlights last night of uh, how they made "We Are the World." You know, for Live Aid. Oh, Seriously, no. th- this song made me think of because Michael obviously, right. Michael and Lionel Richie like mm-hmm. wrote it and yeah, put they, it together, right, right, and it was done in one night. Yeah, like one night wow. they brought all these stars together. Yeah, star Nobody started. knew they got. I mean, it was like sixty three of them or something. There's a like bunch. There's a bunch of big dogs too, and supposedly it didn't go as smooth. Oh. So I'm looking forward to watch it. Came yeah. across, I think Netflix. Like, okay. I, I'm notorious. My wife, that my kids make fun of me. I watch previews before i mean like i'll watch a hundred sometimes it'll spend like just to till i find something i really oh, really like, like on netflix watch the yeah, pre- like, yeah watch the preview over i do see that. the next one and i'm bad about it mess. and like if, especially like i have certain shows and i like my shows but when those end i have the worst time trying to find something else and i'll do the yeah. same thing i'm just scroll. i spend more time scrolling than i do actually watching right stuff sometimes yeah, yeah no doubt no doubt <laughs> But, uh, yeah, that looks pretty interesting. I'm going to have to check that. I love music, man. I do, too. That's a cool story. That was a great song. you have anything coming up, by the way? Yeah, when them dad bods performing. We just had a dad bods. Colhane's out at the beach. Uh, It was awesome. Had a great, great crowd. Um, So much fun, man. So much fun. We're playing, uh, let's see, we're playing uh, the 10th of February at the Ninja Fest, third annual Ninja Fest. Uh, Last year they had 1,000 people. Oh, my goodness. uh, Code Ninjas. She's a friend of Tommy Mac, Team Tommy Mac, uh, and one of their um, neighboring businesses. They do a anniversary at out of Fleming Island, mm-hmm. so we're going to be out, out the there island. performing. <laughs> What's that? That's where I live. Shout yeah, out to you got to come on out, man. I'll I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get you the details, and then we're back at Iggy's. Uh, oh yes, the end of February. So I'll have to get to that one. I love Iggy's. Iggy's is great, Outside, man. Oh, the patio's phenomenal. Good crowd out there. Yeah, Good definitely. drinks. Nice cold drinks. That's what Definitely. <laughs> We're having a good time, man. My band is, uh, they rock, man. They might, all of them really do a great job. The lead guitarist is just ripping solos. Oh, I, I tell them, like, dude, just keep playing. I'll, yeah. I'll step over here and drink a beer and <laughs> let you guys rock out for a little bit. But, yeah, dad bods. With a Z. With a Z. Uh, yeah, I'll have to get going. out there. I'm a big live, pretty much every weekend I'm seeing live music and some You'll know form, all the so, songs. Yeah. You'll know them all. We'll have to, we'll have to get out there, E.T. Yeah, make it on. out to You know I will. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, we talked a lot off season, but let's go through yep. some of our positional need rankings, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think the main ones that a lot of people are talking about, which we just mentioned, both of the interior interior defensive line, interior offensive line, uh, wide receiver, we're still looking at cornerback, you're still looking at um, another edge, a lot of people are talking about. So when you're looking at those positions, maybe another one that pops out to you, Tommy, which ones do you think are most important and least important, all important, because we need the Jacks to get better, but yep. in, in a ranking system. Well, let me let me throw this at you. So, yep. And I'm not opposed to an edge at all. I don't know how high, but I'm not opposed to an edge. But think okay. about this. Um, 
Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker had career years at their outside position mm-hmm. without hardly any inside help. Yep. I mean, think about that. Like, um, Foley, I don't think, had a sack, maybe maybe one or one and a half. half yeah. Roy Robertson Harris had three and a half, maybe. Devon, I don't think, maybe had one or one, he missed two, a lot of time. No, I know. So, yeah. didn't, but yeah. my point is there was nobody on the inside mm-hmm. helping the outside guys. And, and we they were all still know able to do that. they go together. Yeah. Because think about it. If I'm rushing on the outside, what does the QB do? Mm-hmm. Step up in the pocket. Yep. Well, if that pocket's collapsing, he ain't stepping up anywhere. <laughs> yeah. We're getting him from the outside or on the inside. So it does go together. So to me, let's get more dominant on the interior of that defensive line. Um, I like, I, I'll be honest, with you, I like everybody else. Yep. I do. I, Darius Williams had a great year. Um, Aluakon, still one of the best inside backers. Lloyd, you got to tighten up a little bit, but he's got plenty of playmaking ability. Mm-hmm. Trayvon's going to be a beast. I'm fully certain of that. Uh, Josh, you know, he's in his prime. Uh, Tyson Campbell, look, he's got a lot to prove. He yep. went from a shutdown, quote-unquote, which there aren't many, if any at all, to I don't know if he can play man anymore. So he wants to pr- got something to prove. I love our safeties. Uh, and Johnson included. Yeah. I mean, Rayshon, I know everyone's looking. I, I love Rayshon. He's now, you think about like attitude, dog, mm-hmm. and it's a popular term, dogs with yeah. a W, you know, the, you know, but he is. He's that kind of guy that's going to show up, make a big play, make a big hit, make sure everybody's, you know, feeding off that energy. Mm-hmm. You get that off from Josh Allen. You get that from Trayvon. You get that from Alua, Ken, and Lloyd. You know, you just. You need that interior defensive line to be at least better than average. You can't be middle of the road. You got to be top 10. And by the way, I know this it's passing, 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 but guess what? You don't stop the run in the playoffs, you're done. Yeah. If you can't run the ball in the playoffs, you're most likely done. Yeah. You, those two things are very important, and you watch in the Super Bowl. Two great quarterbacks going at it, one really, really great. But they're going to try to establish that line of scrimmage, and that's where the battle will be. Well, you've really seen this playoff, Pacheco. I, I mean, Pacheco's just taken off for Kansas City in this playoff when it comes to running back. <laughs> His feet are on fire, fire, man. <laughs> I swear, it's like he's running. Like he's got flames well, he, coming out of the balls of the feet. Like, ow, 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 The way he runs down the field, and it's faster than that. Yeah. Well, and on the other side, it's Christian McCaffrey. So, of course, yeah. you have one of the – if not best running backs in the league. So yeah. there, and it, it is a difference because I remember seeing some stats uh, last year, even about how the running backs of the Super Bowl winners all made under, I think, aside from like one, made under a million dollars. Okay. And that, and so that's why I feel like a lot of people are looking at the running back position as kind of devalued. But then you're looking at the teams that are successful and they're able to run the ball. Maybe they're not dependent on right. running the ball, but they're able to run the ball efficiently. Well, look, Pacheco's able to run the ball because he got Mahomey and everyone's yeah. scared to death the, of him beating yeah. him. Right? Like, We'd and rather you run than him throw. Right, yeah. and we've got a good off- they got a good offensive line to move people out of the way for the most part. Uh, McCaffrey, now he's, look, he does more than just the tailback position. Yeah. But one thing he is that people don't give enough credit for. He's very tough inside. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a physical oh, guy. Yeah. He is not afraid to take a hit, deliver a hit and whatnot, and then once he hits the crease, forget about it. Mm-hmm. He's most likely gone. So, But the more you can do from that position, the more valuable you'll be. Now, if you got a quarterback like Mahomes, well, maybe I don't need you know Pacheco to get into the slot. 
you know, and yeah. run, you know, plays as a wide receiver. That's fine. Uh, let's let him do his damage with his feet more than, you know, get him in screens and those types of things. But let's let him do some damage with uh, with the ground game because we've yeah. got the QB. Uh, you know, you look at Derrick Henry. He's special. Somebody's going to want him. Um, I don't know what they're going to pay him. I don't care. But I'd want him on my team if I needed yeah. a running back. He still beats everybody to the goal line. I don't care how many years he still beats. Yeah. Nobody catches. I mean, we his just ass. watched it a like, few weeks ago. Yeah, he's knocking people over. So you know, am I giving him the the moon and the stars? No, but I'd, I'd find something. Not here, but if I needed a back and I had my quarterback. Yeah. Well, uh, and people talk about Derrick Henry this season and how it was a down year, and I'm putting this in quotes because he still wasn't. I want to say the top five of rushers in the league when no it comes to that passing game 1100 whatsoever. 100 1167 yep. rushing yards and 12 touchdowns Derek yep. henry had in a what bad, was his average? In a bad season what was his average? um his average oh for a carry let me yeah. go back real quick probably 3.9 something like that maybe four but regardless i mean you know look that's without a passing attack yeah that's with the, everyone loading yes. the box trying to Knowing stop Derek henry's going to yeah. run yeah so that's not uh, he's got a lot of juice left in him, but they're they're few and far between. Uh, four seven yards in attempt. What's that? Four point seven. Oh, that's his uh, career. So four point two. Four point. Yeah, that's a great year. Yeah, a great year. Are you yeah. kidding me? So we'll see what happens there. But uh, look, you do have to have a quarter again. Back to the quarterback. Um, you don't have to have the most super. Mahomes is. They got. That's the perfect match. Yeah. Right. Mahomes, the way he can play, Andy Reid, the way he wants his offense, uh, how they call plays, how he makes play. It's, it's a perfect combination. Not everybody gets that. Yeah. You gotta, the, the system has got to be run efficiently. Because every coach, what do they do? You're a coach. You draw up plays. Well, when you draw them up, if everything works to execute to the perfection on that play, it works. <laughs> and that's their thinking. Right. And there are look, there were many plays last year, especially on offense, where guys missed a block Mm -hmm. guys out of the wrong position, guys in the wrong position, guys not on the right, the same page. Mm -hmm. It drives the play caller like I know we all want to rip the play caller and sometimes it's deserving. But if they could if they executed on just half better, 50 percent better, we wouldn't be complaining about the play call. But where I feel like at some point, too, like the execution is on coaching, too, because what at what point during that week where there's no way that they were running it perfectly during the week if they can't do it in a game. And I feel like it was never getting corrected properly during the week. And maybe this comes back to we talk about how practices are now not really like how much are you hitting and practice? How much are you? And so how much is that affecting some of these guys now, especially when you have uh, some newness to an offense and young guys. Well, I think one critique I would say on the play call, like yeah. they get too cute when they're oh, when yeah. things are working. Now, um, if if you don't execute on that cute play, no, it's not going to work, yeah. right? They ran an end around with Ridley. What game was that? It was towards the end of the year. They had a good drive going, couple passes down the field. Then they try to get cute with an end around. Well, I think it was part, no, it was Tim Jones. Mm-hmm. He's number three. He misses his block. <laughs> I mean, flat out. The guy's like, you're not blocked. Like, get out of my way. Like, you're a gnat. I'm, I'm just going to go hit the hit Ridley. <laughs> yeah, and he gonna... knocks him back I for a 15-yard loss. So, I remember that play. I don't like the cute call. Yeah. But if the guy makes the block, then maybe like, he's wow, up the field. Worked. Maybe yeah. it works. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and again, look, I believe, and it's not just for sports, not just for football. 
The truth is in the middle somewhere, mm-hmm. and on here on Earth anyway, yeah. and it takes two to tangle. Yep. Now, it's never really just one guy no. and solely his fault no. in those types of situations. Yeah, and that goes to on the football field and off the football field. We want to yep. point a lot to, you know, like you said, play calling or coaching or this particular player dropping this ball, but in every play, the amount of guys who are that play is reliant on several guys for that play, one particular play to work, and Absolutely. if it falters at the first step, then the rest is not going to go the way it's supposed to go just think timing yep. is everything you disrupt that timing you're not going to make very many successful plays yep all right well let's get to some trending on the other side et has some good stuff for us so we'll do that in our in our final segment with uh wow. here taylor doll manis i know et right here on 1010 xl 90 90- It's musical chairs on the drill on this special custom tree surgeons Thursday. All right, final segment here this morning. Uh, if you are just tuning in, you're late because we're almost done now. <laughs> but uh, this uh, Taylor Dahl, Tom McManus, yep. and ET filling in for Dan and Jeff this morning. Uh, Lauren. Alessandra and Tony had the first two hours. That's we did right. not have to do the first four hours. That would have been very early for me. Um, but let's go ahead and hit trending, ET. Number five. Oh, man, the ladies really got busy in this this uh, edition of trending. A 60-year-old woman survives being compacted in a garbage truck oh multiple gosh. times. <laughs> oh, mean multiple that. times. Yeah, that lady must have been in shape for to be wow. 60-year-old and, and to, to be able to survive that. Man, girl, good for you. Good oh. for you. She must have. I don't know, looking for food Flexible. <laughs> yeah, how do you, how do you, get, get, how in do you yeah, how what... end up in there? <laughs> Poor thing. Jeez. She was probably trying to get some. She accidentally put something in maybe that she needed back out. Good. You never know. Yeah. But yeah. I, I'm not going nowhere. No, no I'd be like, I'll be good truck. without that. Yeah, like, <laughs> iron right. for my hair. I gotta go get it. <laughs> I didn't mean to throw it out. Number four. Hey, do y'all use Stanley Cups? I do not. Uh, they are so popular right popular. now. Do you know what it is? Not, oh, the, yeah, not the NHL yeah. Stanley Cup no, because know. that's where my, mine, my mine goes. That's have. where mine went also whenever <laughs> yeah, I first I heard like, about it. Well, these Stanley Cups so popular right now. And, um, well, a lady was recently arrested because she, she had over $2,500 worth of stolen Stanley Cups in her car. Uh, you can't do Ooh. that. Can't, bad, bad idea. Bad, bad, you can't bad. do that. And bad. people will find you, too, because there are people getting in fights at Target over these Stanley Cups. The special right. edition joints. Yeah, yeah. They, You know, I'm nev- I never get to see those fights. <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? I just want to watch like, them. Where like, am I? You two idiots are going to fight over a thing. <laughs> right. How dumb. World star. Yeah. yeah. Get any popcorn around here? I want to check this out. If it was Target. Don't break you it would. up. No, no, no. I'll break it up. No, no, no. Let them go. Let them go. Come on. They're not hurting each other. Tommy's just right? holding people back, letting them fight. <laughs> it's too ugly. We'll stop it. Number right. three. Uh, can you imagine, like, your mother being, like, a millionaire, but she leaves her $2.8 million fortune to her pets. Oh what? yeah, I've heard of that before. Yeah, well, this lady she uh yep. she left her two point eight million dollar fortune to her pets. Says her kids didn't come see her enough. Ah, uh, good and for especially her, especially when she That's was right. sick. Yeah, I agree. Man. Yeah, heck yeah, man. 
How do, I mean, that's so a given. AKA that's not getting spent, or I guess whoever gets her pets gets to spend it on her Maybe. pets. Maybe. I don't know. And I ain't no pet lover, but come, come here, Rocco. <laughs> I know. Come, come here. Hey, we are pet <laughs> lovers, boy. but let me tell you something. If your mama likes her pet more than you, you got, you got problems. Problem. <laughs> that's probably <laughs> Aaron. Serious. That's how Aaron Rodgers' family is. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Number two. I couldn't help but chuckle after I read this headline and I went and actually watched it. <laughs> Again, about the pets. Woman clings on to moving getaway car after dog was stolen. So I see the video. (laughs) 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 She's really on the hood of a car, like going down the highway. Just holding on. Just holding on. Because someone stole her dog. Yeah, it looked like a Frenchie. You know, it was a nice dog. That's an expensive dog, too. And people, hey, people care about their pets. Listen, you you come at our dogs and they're big dogs, my wife will cut you. Man, this lady. She would be no on problem. the front of the car. This lady she's literally, got, yeah. she, she followed this lady. She's like, she thought it was a misunderstanding. She's like, hey, um, that's my dog. The lady just hopped in the car. She said there's four other people in the car. She put that thing in reverse and she hit it. Lady hopped on the hood. She said, no, no, no. <laughs> I know several people who would who would do that for their dogs. I'd get in my car and ram you yeah. right off <laughs> the road. Crashing. I would yeah. catch up to you. Fido would just be gone. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Have a good life. <laughs> yeah, right. well, they treat you better than I do. Yeah. Give me that number 2.8 million one. back. <laughs> and the number one trending topic, obviously, is with the Super Bowl coming up. Y'all have an idea what the average ticket price is. Oh, jeez. You mean the street value? To get in the door. I'm going to say 4G. You better go up a couple Gs. Oh, 6 G. You got to go up about three more grand. 9 G. 9,000. Just to get in. That ain't worth it. Is the average cost of the Super Bowl. I just can't imagine. Like, imagine being, I I guess these two teams, they've been to Super Bowls and won recently. But a team who, like, you have it. You've waited your whole life. You're a Jax fan. You're a Lions fan. Whatever. Your whole entire life to go to a Super Bowl and you have to pay you have to find $9,000 for you to go by yourself. But here's the thing. Uh, if you can't afford it, they're going to put it in as a documentary, and you can order what? it on Prime. <laughs> so it'll almost be like you were there. It's going to be great. Uh, and, right. and that's what's trending. That is what is trending. Let's go ahead and uh, talk to Tony Smith, who's been here all morning long. Yes, Tony. You look good for a morning person. two-minute drill brought to you by Tire Outlet. Tire Outlet is now hiring. Visit tireoutlet.com slash careers. Equal opportunity employer. All right, Tony, are you a morning person? No. <laughs> no, quick <laughs> <You> answer. <are> today. <laughs> no, I am uh, today. definitely not a morning person. It's funny, you know, friends and family who know this is my job, mm-hmm. right? Like I come in and talk for a living. This yeah. is what I do at my job. I'm the kind of guy that always has been this way. When I wake up in the morning, until I get here, and the microphones are on, mm-hmm. basically, I may have said 20 words all day. <laughs> You're mute. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't need to talk to anybody. Yeah. When I get it, I don't, I, I got nothing to share until it's, <laughs> until it's time well, you to share. share enough on air. Right. Yeah. And it's funny, like, listening to the conversation y'all were having about the Super Bowl prices. Have y'all been to one of these games? To a Super Bowl? No. I've never gone. Yep. I've gone to the parties, but never the game it's itself. It's just corporate junk. Yeah, yeah. I've heard. Uh, like, that's all that's in the stadium. Yeah. And there'll be a section, basically, of each of these fan bases yep. that can actually find the wherewithal to even get in. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I feel terrible for fans of teams around the league, especially, like, Detroit gets in. Yeah. Like yeah. how many Detroit fans are willing to even spend the nine thousand? They'd right. be willing to give you the money right. to go to the game, but they can't get the tickets because corporate America bought them all yep. and are giving them to sponsors. It's like 
it's not for the fans at all. The Super yeah. Bowl is not really for sucks. the fans at all. It does. Because I mean, can it's you imagine a, that, 9G to get in? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and it's like that's what they feed to you since you're little is your ultimate goal is to see right. a Super Bowl. Your team win a Super yeah. Bowl. And then if like you the have. The World Series is yes. all fans yeah. of oh, those yes. teams. That's yeah. all that's there. Yeah. I sold my tickets in 98. It was uh, the uh, Bronco Packers. Mm-hmm. Went for 1900 apiece. Nice. And they gave them to us, right? You're not supposed to do that, but the statute of limitations is way over. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, and I got 19 $100 bills, and I spent it that whole week I was out there. Nice. I was like, how many am I going to take today? <laughs> I'll just take three or four, yeah, maybe five, see what happens. Put the rest in the safe in yeah. a hotel. Mm-hmm. But, That's- yeah, think about that, like – that's nine just to get in. Yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, yeah, and a, a bottle of water, how much? $100 yeah. for a bottle of water. Like, and, you know, Vegas is a whole lot more affordable than most of the places yeah. they're going to go. You yeah. know, from like a hotel and all and that stuff. stuff. Yeah. Like Vegas yeah. is because there's so to many to the whole world yeah. showing up. Vegas like, will be rocked. Man, It'll uh, be so much they going to jack them prices up for Super Bowl. No, that's mm-hmm. so, oh, absolutely, and they should. You can yeah. make a little bit of change. They're going to find a way to make a little bit yep. of change. Our question of the day today on the show, we're asking, which of these potential salary cap casualties is the most likely to remain okay. with the Jaguars in 2024? We included the cap savings uh, with these guys. Cam Robinson, $16 million. Darius Williams, $10 million. Brandon Sheriff, $9 million. Zay Jones, $4.5 million. Good and again, God. it's most That's likely good. to remain for next season. Um, I will say, I'll say Darius. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that what we saw from Darius this last season, uh, he was the dude for several games making plays consistently. And I I think that uh, when you look at that secondary, you kind of like the way they all play together too. Offensive line, I I would say him or Cam, but I would lean towards Darius. Uh, Cam, I just think maybe with injuries recently and – um, some of – I love Cam Robinson. I think he just adds yeah, that ump to the too. offensive line. But I, I just lead towards Darius a little bit, mm-hmm. I think. I'm going to go Zay because a healthy Zay is a great Zay. And if he can stay healthy – I mean, sure. look, we were taught we, – we thought he could be a number one during camp. He no looked doubt. that good. Yeah. So uh, we need a healthy Zay Jones for that offense to run. the And, and especially getting Kirk back, you know what I mean? you got to have that speed on the other side. So I, I'd say Zay. And what is it, $4 million? Uh, Zay is five, four and a half. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, we're good. They can handle it. That's a good one. Yeah. A lot of decisions to be made. And Tony, that's what we've been yeah. talking a lot about. Uh, so enjoy the show. Thank and, you. And um, continue on your, your long day. <laughs> yeah. uh, E.T., did you have something to say back there? The Drill on 1010XL. From the studios. Now, today's <laughs> takeaways. Brought to you by. Key Buick GMC. Oh. Our family dealership has been helping families buy vehicles for over 50 years. Yeah, today's takeaway from uh, early this morning with Tony, with Lauren and Alessandra, and then from the 8 to 10 o'clock hour with the trio, myself, Taylor, and Tommy Mack. Appreciate y'all for joining me on the drill. It was a good day. It was a good day. Great day. That, that's Thank- my takeaway. Great day. Right? <laughs> there it is. Uh, do I need to name my takeaway? Yeah, well, okay. what's your takeaway? Um, so I think my takeaway was that I flipped on what I thought was most important um, after talking to Eric Eager uh, because I came into the show thinking that an interior offensive line just because I saw what Trevor had to go through last season. Um, but I now think that that interior defensive line is probably the number one, hey, let's make sure we get a stud here because um, I think it will just fix a lot of aspects of the defense. Yeah. I'm going to say what he said about Ridley. Okay. You know, the cap's too high to 
or the number the tag number's too high. You don't yeah. want to tag. So I, I'm 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 down that path, but hopefully they can figure some I feel like Cam and I hate playing with guys' money, but they're gonna ask him to do something with that number. Yeah. And keep him if they yeah. can. I would. I mean I don't I wouldn't, you know, pay him a sixteen mil, especially if he can't stay healthy and yeah. stay on the field for seventeen games. But uh I'd I'd try to keep him somehow. All right. Well, we have a little bit over a month until free agency hits, and so a lot of time to talk about these things and a lot of time to talk about everything that the Jags need to work on and fix during the offseason. But, again, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, Taylor Dahl, Tom McManus, E.T., holding it down for these last two hours. Obviously, Lauren Brooks earlier, Alessandra and Tony Smith for the first two hours. Thanks, everybody. And uh, we have Jaguars today coming up next on 1010XL 92.5 FM.